Alright, welcome back to Catalogs and Noise. My name is Joe. I'm here with Galen and Dave. And today we are talking about The Bridge. Heart Crane. Heart Crane's The Bridge. The second poetry collection, uh-huh. epic, whatever you want to call this, from The Departed Heart Crane. This is, definitely, this is definitely a big work of his. Like, this is the epitome of Hart Crane, right? Based on what we had, this is the magnum opus. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Right? This is the one that people, I think, talk about and think about, but I don't think anybody really reads. You know, I don't think this is like, you know, it's not like people are picking up, like, Frost or Elliot or something like this. Yeah, I think right. it's fairly obscure. Well, he, he's know? anthologized, but he's anthologized. He gets, like, two or three poems in, in anthologies. You know, he gets, like, yeah. he gets, like, Probably one or two sections of voyages, and he gets like two Brooklyn Bridge. That gets a thought. Um, the Melville's Tomb does. Right. Broken Tower from later does. Okay. But, but so he's, he's getting a handful of poems, which might be expected if he's got three works, yeah. right? Yeah, but uh, like no one's. I don't think anyone's going to like get a Heart Crane collection anymore. Somebody so, still might read like a Wallace Stevens or an E. Cummings collection. Mm-hmm. Right. People aren't reading a Heart Crane collection. Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. And so why are we making him a podcast? Because we like it. All right. Because <laughs> we can. Because Two Brooklyn Bridge is like my favorite poem or one of, you know. You've been, say, you've been talking about that poem for I years. I know. I have. I, now, I love it. With that said, though, this collection is is difficult. for. It was difficult for me to kind of get, get a, a bearing yeah, and okay. get into, you know. It's difficult stuff. Yeah. I, I'll still contend, which I think I said last time. I think this is easier than White Bridge. I agree. Really? Uh, White yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think it's a little more literal a lot, in a lot of I thought parts. So. There's a lot of narrative yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, um, see, I wasn't, I didn't feel that way. Yeah. Maybe because I just couldn't stay with it. I'm not sure that I get how it all hangs together yet. Yeah. Yeah. That's something I'm still kind of working out, but yeah. I think individually I got them for the most part. Yeah. You know, saying I got them, I always feel like I'm 75%, but, yeah. you know, enough to. Give a valid explanation, I think. Yeah. Um, My attention spans like a fish, so I kind of like <laughs> struggle with longer poems. You know, I, I like the short oh, lyrics. You know. It. Oh, that might be. Maybe that is. Oh, I, I, I definitely yeah. tend to shorter poems. Okay. I, you know, I like to write shorter poems. You know, I, longer poems are tough, and I feel like I also feel like they really have to be good. You know, they have to keep your attention because it can be tough to listen to a long poem that's not doing yeah. good things, you know? By the way, not just like there are a bunch of poems I've, I already like. Yeah, um, yeah. But all right. But anyway, yeah. All right. So a um, couple things here. So I, let's just talk about the title first. Yeah. All right. I think there's a lot to unpack with just the title in two words. But so the first thing that struck me is like white buildings, this is a symbol of modernity. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. First and foremost, we have a big structure that is doing something grandiose. I don't think we ever came to a satisfying conclusion on what the white buildings are doing as a, a symbol, right? I think it kind of fumfered around that a little bit. But I get the bridge. I think the bridge is functioning in several specific ways. I don't think Crane quite worked through his, whatever, the symbolism or metaphor of white buildings. I, I think he was trying to play with an idea of, like, looking at something... And, and seeing the transformation of it mm. over the course of, like, let's say some time or day, right? The sunlight comes yeah, up. Right. Remember we talked yeah. about that? Yeah, It's about perspective and static and, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know if that, <clears throat> I don't know if that comes together for him in that collection. I don't know if that metaphor served its purpose or if it was fully realized, maybe even by the poet himself. Somehow he simplifies it, 
right? He puts the bridge. He puts us in a place with the Brooklyn Bridge in the very first poem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think somehow maybe in his act of simplifying, it allowed him to maybe get to more depth, uh, you know, with the things he was trying to say. Yeah, maybe. I mean, the bridge also, by nature, holds all these connotations of transport mm-hmm. and connectivity and, and all of that stuff. So, well, you know, it, it's a little more, I think, archetypal. Yeah, yeah. the bridge is already symbolic. Right. I don't need to read these poems to tell you what a bridge is symbolic <laughs> right. of. Yeah. The, well, yeah. in the introduction by this guy, Thomas Vogler, written in 1970, he talked about how the ends of the beginnings of the bridge end up being the ends of the bridge. So what? it starts off, and, and <laughs> as the bridge is being built, Oh, okay. It's beginning. Oh, oh. And then once it's completed, they become the ends of the bridge. Right, okay. And so I started thinking of this idea of the infinity sign. Mm-hmm. You know, how there's a sort of, um, a kind of energy that's flowing through this bridge. It's connecting people and it's it's serving as this sort of, you know, interlocking idea. And and there's a lot of an infinity work that, co- you know, ideas of, of uh, eternal, what is it, in, in the bridge, the first poem that... Like, there's a lot of stuff that comes up that would maybe even point to that. It was cool. Mm-hmm. I, I was into it. Yeah, that's interesting. So, I got, I got three ways to tackle the title. All right? So, I'm going to go through them systematically, uh, as I want to do. Number one, physical connectedness, as, as Galen was saying before, right, I think is first and foremost here. So, you have the structure of the bridge, I think, as a metaphor for American expansion. Sure. Right? Yeah. And... That is, I think, constantly being worked on through this collection. Not just, I I mean, in the individual poems themselves in a lot of ways, but also how the poems are structured, kind of moving expansively through uh, Movement West, right? right. You're getting that, right? Oh, yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Start with uh, Columbus. Uh Well, you start with a kind of overall hymn, then Columbus into... um, early American life and, you know, kind of moving on through more established life, always with the kind of modernity there, but really, I think, focusing on, like, in this Whitmanian kind of building of a culture. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? So the bridge is a nice metaphor to kind of take us through the steps of that, I think. Also, this is still, this is like number one B here. Um, Did you guys see the... um, Walker Evans uh, photography mm-hmm. that was fun. yeah so I got hit to this like pretty like late in the game just like yesterday but when it was I, from what I understand the bridge was first published in 1930 it's published with a bunch of Walker Evan um, shots of Brooklyn Bridge in fact the the famous shot of Crane underneath the bridge is apparently Walker Evans mm-hmm. um, from this session of photography but it's black and white it's very, like, big and grandiose. Like, he's giving you a sense of, like, epic scale. Um, it, it's really gorgeous, you know, sh- pictures. Like, uh, apparently, like, you know, they're in the Met, you know, mm-hmm. like, the originals, I guess. I don't know how art prints work in terms <laughs> of photography. But, um, so, that's all to say that Crane pairing with those images, I think, needs us to have this kind of physical sense of... What, what modernity can do, mm-hmm. what kind of the collective, you know, human ingenuity can do, I think, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I'm always fascinated by buildings and bridges and how is it possible that this is standing? Things created by man. Yeah, how is it mm-hmm. possible? Like, I can't make this. I can't even really fathom. I'm just taking for granted that it's there. 
those pictures give you that kind of sense of scale of that. It's hmm. extraordinary. They're, they're really great. So that's all the physical stuff. Now, I think there's two ways that kind of a temporal bridge exists. Yeah, I thought it was going to be Is this number two or... Claim... This yeah. is my number two. Are you taking notes? Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. I'm you want to go over that? <laughs> well, no, it's my right. thing, but... <laughs> so, um, I, I think... I, w- I kept thinking about, you know, how the building of a bridge and looking at it automatically makes me... Maybe this is a personal thing, but makes me think about its construction. So it has this kind of temporal shift you know what i mean when i look at the brooklyn bridge i have to think back to i don't know when is that when is it constructed mid-19th century uh maybe even earlier yeah i don't know i I think back to that and it's transportative in that way right that's just my own nonsense but i think that crane's poetry is doing a similar kind of thing where and i was alluding to it before like Every poem seems to be about the past, but has these kind of sprinkled in elements of the present. We, we talked about that with white buildings, too, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, you know, how, how uh, the Faustus poem, right? Mm-hmm. Helen and Faust, the, yes. it's, it's set in the modern world, but he transforms back into time. I've been these, going back to that poem a lot, by a the good way. Poem. Yeah. These kind of work, I think, inversely in a lot of ways. They're He's set in, in the, the past. past, and he kind of comes to the present. Right. I, this, I thought that too. Um, yeah, you get this sense of, yeah. of, oh wait, he's the poet in the moment seeing this thing, mm-hmm. you know, or maybe the kind of, um, the foreshadowing of him from the perspective of the story that's being laid out of mm-hmm. the past. Something like that is happening. So these bridges, the poems function as these kind of bridges across time in some way. And my third one is kind of, a cousin to that, I guess, and it's the idea of memory as a bridge, mm-hmm. specifically, right? That all of these poems, I don't know, seem to have these portals in them, you know, mm-hmm. of how how something long ago informs something to come. Maybe it's the present, but that th- these are connected, you know? Um, there's some kind of, I don't know, like archetypal idea that's being played out over and over in cycles yeah i I caught it most like thinking of columbus and indiana something like that yeah where there's still the search for gold even though we're what three centuries later Mm -hmm. you know and how you could claim that like all right in current day you know with you know as, as crane's looking down the barrel of uh of the the 1920s collapse and you know that's people looking for gold still that you're caught up in these kind of like human cycles mm-hmm. that he's trying to psychically bridge one moment to the next. Or even the connection between something like Ave Maria and the river, where right. he actually even brings up DeSoto again in the river as if to build that sort of kind of connection that's kind of like, you know, look at where these people have come from. Yeah. You know, you could, you could sense he's building those connections. Yeah. By the way, did you say the bridge, did you say mid- 20th century? Uh, did you say mid-19th century? century yeah. yeah, you're right about that. It was actually started in 1869, finished 69, okay. in 1883. So when Whitman's looking at it, it's pretty new. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, most of those bridges are not that old. Right. Like, most of the bridges in New York, they didn't exist. That was one of the earlier ones, even. Point of information, my grandfather helped build the Verrazano Bridge. Mine, too. Oh, that's... You know what? Have we talked about this before? I don't know. I think we may have. Is it the same guy? (laughs) That would be amazing. No, it's not. (laughs) He was a carpenter, so he built the framework that would... They'd put the cement in in order to build, you know, I guess the... Mm -hmm. What would you call the... The foundation, foundation of the bridge. Yeah. No, but it's not really a foundation. Uh-huh. It's, it's like a, the piling. It's a yeah. It's like a pillar, right? You know, of sorts. Pylons, I think. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah. I, it's astounding to me. And Laura's yeah. grandfather helped to build the frog ne- frog's neck bridge. Really? Yeah. Look at all these builders. I know. It's like yeah. as if there weren't any other jobs back then. Need <laughs> uh. <laughs> a lot of people to build things. Um, all right. So the thing that the temporal I, bridge. Yeah. Oh yeah. That was all I have for that stuff. Um, these are just things that I kept going back to over and over mm-hmm. again. I keep circling things and saying a, a different kind of bridge, a new bridge, you know? Yeah. I, I think he's Does treating he... the subject very thoroughly and and in a very smart manner. Does the idea of infinity fit in with that idea of the temporal bridge, this idea that... Yeah, I think the cyclical nature this, okay. yeah, kind of deals yeah. with that, right? Yeah, yeah. I think so. I, I get the sense that we are just kind of... Um, Humanity is the same type of people just kind of living uh, the same lives with a different context. Slightly different situation, but still relatively similar even. Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you agree with that? Do I agree with that personally? Yeah. No. I don't think you would. Right? No, I don't. No, yeah. I, I'm far more Hegelian than that. Yeah. Right? I, I'm not really into cycles as much as I am to... Advancement. The, the clashing of culture and, and synthesis to kind of advance. No I believe doubt. in progress. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know that Crane does. I think he has... Um, see, I don't know. He has a slightly cynical view of progress. Definitely. I, I think his I think he's always slight, though. It's I, fairly bleak. I think it's bleak. kind of bleak. I do I, in, in certain parts, yeah, I kind of got the sense that it's like there's... There is this kind of natural want for not necessarily gold but like you know going out there and seeing it that kind of columbus feeling and it's lost later on in those poems like yeah. you know that that's lost as you know the river keeps going but like what's left of it to to explore kind of thing yeah but i i, I also get a balance of that in a lot of the glory sure. i mean to brooklyn bridge is a glorious you yes. know understanding of of human innovation yeah but it's also just the first poem too right and so no ways, but i think it's know, a poem that's going to to be almost like um an overture for the whole piece sure. i mean i think it's it's the thesis it's the bones of it yeah yeah and I, I think there's something to the idea that you know even when these things seem i don't know failures or maybe fleeting or you know you know each one of these steps that they all amount to something bigger Mm. When you take a step back from yeah. it, and that, but I'm, but he, not, but I'm he, not suggesting that he's he's reveling in no. technology either. No, no, know? and he never names it either, right? Remember, we were talking about that at the end of White Buildings. Like we had this sense that he was kind of building towards something, but we didn't quite know exactly what. Like he almost doesn't name it for us. And I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm with Galen with this idea that I mean, maybe that's why people don't go to Crane as much because he is he does kind of tend toward a little more of that bleakness that people are you know scared to kind of inhabit. Yeah. And he's obtuse. Well, yeah, that's well, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No, I I get that, right? Yeah, he he's see this one I think does have more of a kind of framework and point to it than White Buildings did. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. You know, it has more of a trajectory. No pun with framework. I don't. Hey, but yeah, <laughs> there's um. No, I I think I mean I think we we'll have to wait till the end, but I do think there's a kind of 
a message underneath it. I, I'm not exactly sure that I have that 100%. So, so here are the two things, right? I kept asking, what does it say about America? Okay. Right? And what does it say about the nature of history or storytelling mm-hmm. or any of that? So when it comes to America, I think, I think he's a little more impressed than he is cynical. Oh, absolutely. Right? It's not a critique, Mm-mm. right? I mean, but it's not really like rah-rah, 100% manifest destiny that was still very lively in the ni- early 20th century, you know? He falls short of that, I think, you know, certainly respective to the times. Um, but I don't know that he's criticizing it either. I'm not sure. But we talked about it with white buildings. He's far more interested in describing than he is arguing a point. I don't yeah. know that he's really arguing anything. Th- this comes out after the stock market crashes. Like, I kind of feel like... It's being written before it, yeah. I think, for the right. most part. Sure. All right, so so he's in the 20s, right? Yeah. I, I mean, does that play into a little bit of this? You know, like, are, can we suggest that Crane is, is sort of, I don't know, how, how in touch is he with what's going on? He seems like a poet who is very much in touch with city life and, and yeah. what it means to be an American living in New York City, say, in the 1920s. Yeah, I think so. Um, I'm, I'm not sure, though, if... You know, he's he's not really describing that as much in this poem mm. as he is trying to get voices of, you know, Midwest, you yeah. know, the past and all of this. Yeah. He, he, I don't think he's interested. So I think in, in White Buildings, he was more interested in describing modernity. Yeah. Here he's interested in how did this all come about. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You know? But yeah, so but I, I don't... Although he jumps... Well, Cuddy Sark gets to um, some more modern... Moments, yeah, too. it builds. Yeah, I mean, as we build. go through, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I focus much more on the first half of the poetry, yeah, know, for this discussion, but uh, yeah, I, I read the whole thing, I just didn't, you know, take notes and get deep into it for yet. sure. But um, so yeah, I'm again, I it's not, I don't think it's a strong argument. That's not a criticism, I just think it's a fact. No, I, I agree with that. I don't, yeah. I don't think it's very one way or another. I mean, I think. Yeah, I was I was reminded of Whitman and through a lot of this, mm-hmm. right. I think, um, and obviously like Whitman's far more specific in terms of what he's kind of. I mean, he is certainly observational, but it is far more celebratory than Absolutely. I would say this is. Clearly. This is this is far more celebratory than I would have anticipated having only red white buildings. Yes. So I was kind of like, oh, but like actually in the context of most poetry like this, it's not particularly celebratory, <laughs> but it maybe felt more like that as, you know, a contrast to the yeah. last collection. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I agree with all that. I, if there is a point to be made, I think the point is more about history. And reading this, I kept going way back to Legends, mm. the first oh, poem yeah, yeah. of um, White Buildings, and thinking about that, right, because he comes out of the gates on that, talking about, you know, myth making and, and storytelling and how you know the the myth doesn't necessarily match the reality and all of that and so i know that that's on his mind as he myth makes himself but i just don't know where that goes or like how i'm supposed to take that in what did you just say about the myth the myth and the the reality oh, man <laughs> no that the, the myth and reality don't necessarily match well that's interesting with white buildings right because the idea that they're white at the moment is kind of a false reality, right? It's not, they're not exactly white. They're just buildings. And sometimes they might appear to be white, you know, based on the time well, of day. Well, I think they could be white too. 
Yeah, I mean, kind of. Yeah. But it, it, the point is, is that it's perception. The it's idea percep- that, yeah. you know, the idea that there's that qualifier before it, it's not just the thing. It's not just the bridge, you know. I mean, he could have just, I mean, the collection could have been buildings, right? I mean, I don't know what kind of metaphor that would have been, but, <laughs> you know, I, I think he's definitely playing a little bit with that idea. And I kept going back to the F- Faustus and Helen poem where he was sort of bridging ancient myth-making with... Um, you know, uh, this kind of present moment being in the city. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, again, I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> I, just, mm-hmm. I just know it's on his mind. I, you know, I think it's just an exploration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, before we get to the poems proper, uh, what do you make of the book of Job? Epigram? Um, epigraph. Epigraph, I know. Uh, wait, did you say your third, your third point for the bridge? I did. Mm-hmm. What was it? It was a memory thing, but oh, right. don't worry about it. Um, so, you know, the book of Job is pretty pointed, I think, you know, as an idea of, I don't know, victimhood, you know, uh, being kind of subject to the, the whims of a indifferent God, all of this. Mm. Um, and I think you have to kind of consider all of that. I mean, if he's going to put it up there, mm-hmm. but the passage here, the two lines, I think don't necessarily speak to the heart of what Job is doing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. That is about uh, exploration. Traversing, yes. Yeah, right? Mm -hmm. Discovery, which we saw all over in white buildings with different journeying people and traveling and all that. And I think that's the grand scope of this. Moving westward, traveling. In Indiana, it's it's explicitly about that, Mm -hmm. right? So I was thinking about you know, that being, you know, the idea of traveling, what that is, but that being a Job-like pursuit, you know, this idea of of it not getting you anywhere or mm. being maybe thankless or being a kind what of... What you had expected, at least. Yeah, yeah. a test yeah. of humanity or something. I don't know. That seems a little bleak to me, mm-hmm. but I don't know if I'm reading that much into it. I don't really know what this is doing there otherwise or why it has to, you know, kind of work from the book of Job, but... He was a skeptic, right? I mean, he. I mean, he, Job was. Job, well, technically, Job was. Right? Job kept believing Job even was when, a dupe. when, when he didn't, you know, when things were bad were happening. But at some point, he does journey off during that book in order to talk to people about yes. faith in God. And I think that whole idea that he, after things felt disastrous for him, he did sort of journey toward understanding faith. You know, so that idea of of journey comes up in this. You know, but I, don't, I guess, does that make the speaker then a, a sort of Job-like figure in this quest of understanding where we come from? Yeah, I don't know. So I think Job is hugely misunderstood. Like, when we think about what is actually in that text, uh, I talk about this a lot in my Chester Brown series that mm. nobody listened to. Um, <laughs> you can go back and listen to that somewhere. Give us a summation here. Chester Brown did a, uh, <laughs> did a Job cartoon in one of his works. In uh, Jesus wept at the Mary wept at the feet of Jesus. Um, Chester Brown, I'm telling you, Chester Brown's amazing. <laughs> anyway, uh, at the end of that story, after God fucks with Job, you know, mercilessly, I think everybody understands the story to be like Job never gave up faith and Job never questioned anything, and he was rewarded afterwards. It's not true. Yeah, he questioned. Job questions. Yeah, big time. And complains. And, you know, at some point, you know, gives up. Yeah, no and doubt. And then God's like, all right, I'm going to, I don't know what the message is. It's a very scattered message. He, he almost, he almost gives up 
like to an indifferent point, but because he never like speaks out against God, you know, it's almost like that's enough. Right. It's some <laughs> weird, it, but, and then, and it seems to me that God like, like stops the experiments right before he's about to. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? yeah. It seems like a pretty, uh, uh, unfair God, you know, when you think about that in that regard anyway. But, um, I think technically speaking, if I'm the interlocutor, I win, I win that initial debate, you know? So I'm not sure. I think people read what they want to in that text, and maybe you have to go to the ancient you that know, text, Hebrew to figure that it out. That text but, is in the Bible? <laughs> it's in the Old Testament, it sure no, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, 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 in, well, it's in the religious. I think it's interesting, too, because he does have quite a few references to Judaism and different allusions throughout yeah. this. So mm-hmm. that's kind of how I was reading it a little bit, that it has to be something from the Old Testament. Right. It's got to be from the Bible. That obscure heaven of the Jews and all of that. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, that is... That is something that's kind of Job-like, you know, this this, this idea that these... Yeah, um, I mean, also... all the old prophets are about trying to, in the Old Testament, are about trying to puzzle out, like, what God wants, and nobody really knows. I feel like modern Christianity has made all of that much more definitive, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? Like, oh, no, you just do this, but... Is it possible that Crane's not necessarily connecting us with those old prophets as much as, much as he's connecting us to the oldest history, right? He's connecting us back to those ancient cities yeah. to try to suggest where we came from, right? I you like know? that. I hadn't thought of that, but starting with the Bible as our first touchstone to build our America is interesting. Yeah. Particularly mm-hmm. given, you know, American puritanical values and everything. No doubt. Yeah. Which makes it more bleak. <laughs> yeah. A little bit. Does, <laughs> depends on your perspective on yeah. that. I think it makes it more bleak for me, definitely. Yeah. You know? yeah. Uh, no, that that's 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 pretty good. Yeah, you know that America has been this almost like Joe Boy character that is maybe um, skeptical and always kind of fighting back. I don't know the the force of nature or something trying to by having, build or by having to explore and and, yeah. and seek seek some kind of truth elsewhere. Yeah, I mean essentially, right, Job. First, I think the first thing that happens is a storm comes and, and kills all his crops and kids, yeah. right? And the Lord taketh, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. And then, you know, that's not enough, the devil says, right? And and, and then God's like, all right, well, do whatever you want, but you can't kill the guy. Yeah. But so he makes, like, what, boils oh, break boils. out on his skin. He gets leprosy or oh, something. And, and his wife says, like, you should just go somewhere and die. Like, that, yeah. you know? And that's when he just, like, takes off. Yeah. And he has conversations with, like, three or four people, and they each give a different kind of view as to what faith is. And here he is. He has to sort of kind of navigate these different perspectives and just kind of choose a path of belief. Mm. Really, that's in some ways what's been, you know, when you think about where America has come from. It's been a series of people who have tried to forge a path of what they yeah. really believe and how they want to live. So, you know, you're, you're keep just kind of moving out west, but really you're running away from something. You know, you're running away from uh, understanding what truth or faith really is because it's probably fucking scary. I don't know about that last part. I don't know if you're running away. I always felt like Westward Expansion was always about running towards something, you know. Some ideal. Yeah, grabbing your piece of it Maybe. or something. Yeah, But... No, I like this idea of, um, of uh, by the way, I don't think I agree with it yeah. like, or, or feel good about the sentiments, but just in terms of the logic of this text, of if we, if we take God to be the nature or, you know, the elements or fate or something, that America is this kind of building against the burden of that, against the struggle of it. I, so my own politics, that's problematic. I, I think it makes... American expansion far more heroic than it really is. Yeah, far no more 
sympathetic than it really is. No doubt. But I think that might be a possibility here. Does Crane really seem to comment on it? I, I don't get a sense that he's got, there's a lot of commentary by the speaker. I think there's like personal commentary. Yeah. You know, like about the personal lives and the personal struggles, but I don't think there's a comment in whole about, yeah. about what this is. You know, it's not going to be a takedown of Manifest Destiny. But it's not exactly going to be a kind of celebration of yeah. American jingoism either. I almost feel like he's trying to take the vision and the celebration of Whitman, but he's applying it to something that that in modern times doesn't feel right to apply it to. You know what I mean? As if somehow the subject and the vision are getting yeah, sort of uh, convoluted a little bit in, in, in the telling of it. I don't know. I don't know. All right. Let's talk about... Some poetry. Yeah, you want to go right into the poems now? Uh, I don't know. You Did you outline all your all your introductory stuff? Uh, yeah, I got. There's probably some more there. I'm gonna. <laughs> I think that's plenty. Um, all right. So yeah, I, I'd like to read to Brooklyn Bridge if you don't mind. Sure. Yeah. Uh, there's some debate you over whether whether or not we are going to read um, all the poems. All them. But we'll, yeah. we'll kind of play it by ear. I think. Well, some of the poems are long. Yeah. And and it would lend itself to to long readings. And... Here's my argument. <laughs> any, any of the four people that might listen to this. <laughs> I think would appreciate the reading. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I don't think there's like a somebody with a vague sense of Crane is going to enter into this anyway. I don't know. We'll see. What do I know? It's labor intensive on our end too, right? As people, yeah, well, you know, who have just taught and all day. It's true. Yeah, man. Um, I love reading out loud, but I don't think I'm a particularly good out loud reader as well. Yeah. I struggle with it. I, I My brain works too fast, and I start thinking about what I just read and get jumbled all yeah. the time. I, I think know. I'm really good at You are. Galen is excellent yeah. actually reading out loud. Thank you. And yeah. and I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I just think that maybe if we tackled it in sections or something, yeah. that, that might be yeah. good. Yeah, see what we can do. Yeah. Right. I feel like I just sounded really arrogant, and now I'm overthinking No. <laughs> I think are, I'm a good reader. You are. You are. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. It's read Romeo. That's okay. I, I love I love reading so well, so much though that I don't care. Yeah, like, I, yeah. I'd rather no, just do it and fumble over words and it. such. Yeah, but okay, to Brooklyn Bridge. You love this poem. I do. I I've read this poem hundred hundred times. times easily. Yeah, wow. yeah. And this is a, like there's a couple. This one, but I'll just pull it off the shelf and sit and read it if if I'm in a contemplative mood or something. Do you remember the first time you read it? Where you were? Um, I, I read it for a class in grad school. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was basically, it was all the ma- major American poets, right? Each week we took one and kind mm-hmm. of did it. And um, we did a heart crane week and uh, the, we didn't read all of the bridge or anything. I did that on my own afterwards because I was so taken by it. But there was a selection of poems and this was one of them. Mm-hmm. And it just, I, I was, I was confounded by it. And I studied it line for line and tried to like kind of work through it and figure it out. And it's, I think it's the first poem that I feel like I came to on my own and really felt like a mastery over and, you know, I, I still see new things all the time. It's not that there's an end point, but yeah, yeah. I, I was proud of myself after I, I kind of worked this one through. <coughs> all right. To Brooklyn Bridge. How many dawns chill from the rippling rest? The seagull's wings should dip and pivot him, shedding white rings of tumult, building high over the chained bay water liberty. Then with a, in violate curve, forsake our eyes, and app- as apparitional as sails that cross some page of figures to be filed away till elevators drop us from our day. I think of cinemas, panoramic slights, with multitudes bent towards some flashing scene, never disclosed, 
but hastened to again, foretold to other eyes on the same screen. And thee, across the harbor, silver-paced, as though the sun took step of thee, yet left some motion ever unspent in thy stride, implicitly thy freedom slaying thee. Out of some subtle subway scuttle, sailor loft, a bedlamite speeds to thy parapet, tilting there momentarily, shrill shirt ballooning, a jest falls from the speechless caravan. Down wall, from girder into street, noon leaks, a ripped tooth of the skies acetylene. All afternoon the cloud-flown derricks turn, thy cables breathe the North Atlantic still. Hmm. And obscure is that heaven of the Jews, thy guardian, accolade thou dost bestow of anonymity time cannot raise, vibrant reprieve and pardon thou dost show. O harp and altar of the fury fused, how many mere toil line thy <coughs> choiring strings, terrific thresholds of the prophet's pledge, prayer of pariah and the lover's cry. Again, the traffic lights that skim thy <coughs> swift, unfractioned idiom, immaculate sigh of stars, beating thy path, condense eternity. And we have seen night lifted in thine arms. Under thy shadow of the peers I waited, only in darkness is thy shadow clear. The city's fiery parcels all undone. Already snow submerges an iron year. O oh, sleepless as the rivers under thee, vaulting the sea, the prairie's dreaming sod, unto us lowliest sometimes sweep, descend and of the curved ship and the curved ship lend a myth to God. Mm. That's I thought good. you read it really well. Oh, thank you yeah, very that's much. Good, I, I, I don't know. Man, it's good. I brought attention to it. it it's, it's so great. I don't know what it is. Um, it's it's a secular prayer, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? Uh, my favorite kind of prayer, by the way. <laughs> uh, but it, so it, it it's imbued with all the kind of, I don't know, earnestness and spirit of being devout. But it's about this man-made thing that I think can be seen as a work of art and a work of social progress. And those are two of my favorite things in the world. Right. Right? I love a bridge because it's a symbol of society and the best of what we can do. And I love art because for the same reason, this is a, a kind of like beautiful merging of those things. Yeah. The thing that gives me chills every time is the Oh Harp and Altar of Fury Fused, right? Yeah. Um, you know, which is a perfect, beautiful rendition of what the bridge looks like. The harp strings being the, mm. the tension chords and the altar being the road, you know, the, the, like an altar, you know, they, that spans the two, the um, the body of water underneath it, mm. right? That is a, a kind of, I don't know, glorious celebration of mankind that mm -hmm. I think it's genius in its imagination, you know, but, but every line has... I wrote Keats next to that like line. That. Oh, there's, yeah, absolutely. Um, you get the odes in that, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. coming through. There's this big... This is an ode. Yeah, I, 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 it has qualities. And, a, of a and perhaps a love poem, if you want to look at it that way, but, but more of a note, I think. If it's a love poem, it's, I think it's you know, very general. Yeah. Yeah, you know. I, yeah, I would think of it more of a note, a celebration of the moment and, and, and looking at this bridge and thinking of all it can be. Yeah. Like, that, that's, that's like exactly. crossing Brooklyn Ferry. This, to me, is speaking to Whitman. W would the Brooklyn Ferry cross like near or under this bridge? I believe so. Right? It would, right? I don't know about now, but I think yeah, that, that was the case then, in, sure. in Whitman's time. Yeah. But I mean, when when you get the um, 
the eye, you know, narrative voice. Yeah. Or I guess not narrative voice. In uh, the third lyrical stanza. voice, I guess. Um, well, you get it there, but I think it really comes through in rings in the penultimate stanza, mm. where uh, under the shadow of the peers I waited. Yeah. You get the sense of, just like Dave said, you looking, him looking up and trying to understand it. And what each of these stanzas is, I think, is a different interpretation of what it is he's actually seeing, mm. which I think is beautiful with Walker Evans' photography because that's the bridge from all these different angles. Yeah. And sometimes it doesn't even look like a bridge, and you have to kind of piece it out as a kind of part of the whole. Yeah. Well, you know, after the first two opening two stanzas that sort of work to kind of set the scene, right. the next stanzas seem to oscillate back and forth yeah. between city and bridge. Like, you get city life, and then it goes back to the bridge. And then you get city life, and then it goes back to the bridge. And that works for about four stanzas until you get to the heaven of the Jews, in which now he's doing a classic crane maneuver, which is launching into sort of uh, mythology, a connection to the past, you know, from the present moment. And that's when you get some of this incredible poetry, um... You know, that that one line, beating thy path, condense eternity, as yeah. if the bridge is condensing this yeah. inter- eternity, right? Yeah. I'm yeah. not sure if I have that right. I think what that is, is the, um, it says traffic lights, but I think it's actually the, the cars on the bridge and the and the headlights. Right. Right? That, that from a certain angle, condense the stars uh, above, right? Like that the bridge in itself is all of eternity. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's a still down version of those same lights. So you get the, the practical and the ethereal, mm. you know, no bridged, right. you know, in the one, in the one idea. No doubt. An immaculate sigh of stars. That's incredible. Yeah. By the way, in the third line of this poem, white and building both show up. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, yeah I know. I, um, I, I think that not only is this, I think, a kind of beautiful hymn to open up the whole epic poem, but it's a bridge from to the, the last, last collection. collection. White, the word white comes up, I think, in every poem so far. Yeah, I, I, I've been noting it as well. Yeah. Right? The building, though, here, I think we're supposed to feel the majesty of it, but also the problems in it. I think there's a critique of modernity in this as well. Mm-hmm. It mostly comes through in the second stanza. Yeah, the beginning there. Yeah. 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 And even the last line of the first stanza, this idea that somehow liberty is being chained. Right. Over the chain you know, waters, that, yeah. that metaphor. If, if, so I think, right. I think I mentioned this in one of the early white building podcasts, but Crane inhabited the same apartment that the lead engineer of the bridge right. inha- yeah. like lived in. He found this out, too, at some point. But it had a perfect bird's eye view of the bridge that, so, so the engineer could watch the progress of it. Um, and, and so I, you could imagine, I don't know if it's possible, but could he see the Statue of Liberty chained through the bridge? Like, is, it, it, does the direction work like that? It possibly could, right? It depends where he is. Yeah. Uh, I think you'd have to be too north of the bridge maybe, for that right? to make sense. Yeah, I'm not yeah. sure, though. Maybe. All right. So it, perhaps he just imagined it. But I, I mean, I don't think you need uh, the Statue of Liberty necessarily, right? I you, mean, the sea itself the could sea, be... Right. right. Okay, you sure. definitely see, like... Nature chained in a way. Chained, yeah, yeah right? no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. And I do. I think I think there's like this like tension between man building and nature kind of fighting back or being restrained and you know Or natural America, like in terms of the native peoples too, like not just nature, like that there is that kind of weird tension there, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Um that comes through mostly, I think, in the river mm-hmm. and Indiana later when we're yeah. kind of moving west and you know, figuring out 
I, I think that's true. And even in the whole larger narrative of Pocahontas, too, uh, yeah. you know, in that yeah. second section. No, no, absolutely. Yeah. You guys ever seen pictures of Brooklyn, like, it, what Brooklyn looked like at this time? Um, there's still farms and stuff in yeah. Brooklyn, like, in 1920s, yeah. 30s. Like, there's still... my The meatpacking district is still in the city, right, at that time? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, but it's weird to see it like like it's because it's interesting to think about like Manhattan and and Brooklyn and like they're really quite different at the time. Yeah, Hmm. yeah, I think Manhattan is is well built up. Absolutely, but Brooklyn's Brooklyn's still kind of like rural parts of it, suburban parts of it. Yeah, like Long Valley. Mm, (laughs) A little, I don't know. Yeah, I guess it really is. I mean, yeah. Um, Yeah. So just going back to that critique of modernity, though, right? There's all this. yeah, I, I, you get the sense of a worker in a building, in a tall building in Manhattan, mm-hmm. looking out and seeing the bridge and that being a kind of escape. Mm-hmm. So it's one modern structure that is kind of an escape from the trappings of the worst of the modern structure, right. which kind of manifests in having to file things away in elevators yeah. and, you know, the suicidal mm-hmm. gesture of being dropped, you know, and all of that. Um, so... I don't think it's as simple as just a kind of nature versus modern or something. No. In that modernity, there's this other tension that exists. And that's fascinating to me, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. We had that in something in the white buildings, too, I remember. Oh, I remember. It was, um, I think it was the Grandma's Letters one, right? Oh, yeah. Where she had the stars put up against memory, right? The two ethereal kind of yeah. constructs almost having tension between them, True. right? He likes to complicate the divisions he makes. Yeah. You know? Huh. Um, so yeah, so you actually have two suicides here. You have that first kind of whisper and then you have the other, um, the Bedlamites, right? That, mm. that, that go to the parapets and, and perhaps jump off and, and all of this, you know, there, there's always a sense of, of danger and consequences that come with the new innovations, the, the new ideas, you know? Yeah. And how about the the tension even in the language, like the romantic language as as he's describing the bridge versus some of that like more complicated, darker language of of city life and city living, which I think even comes up later on in Cuddy Sark. You get some of that American vernacular of just kind of like yeah. street jive and talk and, and and compare that to, you know, the idea that he's he's using the to talk about yeah. the bridge. Right, know? yeah, yeah. No, Something this is like this is super heightened. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um yeah, I don't know because he is interested in the everyday man's perspective, right? Definitely. Yeah. If you look at the, you know, the the stanza that starts down wall, right? I love <clears> these <throat> these images, right? You get the um, uh, from the girder into the street, <clears throat> noon leaks, right? You can look up and you can see the buildings or the bridge <clears throat> or whatever being constructed in the girders, and through it you see nature leaking through, mm. right? But that's all about the man on literally the man on the street's perspective. Right. You know what the average guy kind of sees and contends with. Yeah. You know, the idea that these buildings to some degree are trying to, I don't know, block out the sun in a way. Mm-hmm. And the sun has to kind of fight through it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But I mean, I think this could easily be a kind of, you know, takedown of all those trappings. It never is. I think the lang- the heightened language. Sure. I don't know. Makes us revel in it. Yeah. Or something. I like in that third stanza, that movement after... So the first two, it kind of set it up, you get the ellipsis. And then it kind of seems like like that plane 
talk yeah. of the regular speaker, you know, like that kind of heart crane speaker that's on the streets interacting with people. What about the apples, Bill? Yeah, exactly, yeah, right? That right? kind of that guy. Kind of guy. Or, and the guy you see in Cuddy Sark, too, who meets yeah. the sailor, this idea, like, you know, I think of cine- cinemas, panoramic slits, you know, like this idea that yeah. I'm here, but there's also, like, just things I'm connecting to. Like, even the lights, uh, the lights going off the river um, at one point, I thought that was coming up as an image um, in, in somewhere in white buildings, but... Just like, you know, I, I get this sense that there's someone who's connected to life and people yeah. living, well, you know, in the city. In this, I think, in this whole collection, far more than White Buildings. Yeah. I think I made the point in White Buildings that, early on, that I, I always hear the crane poetic voice. Yeah. That is the, like, even <clears throat> if there's a slight change of perspective, it seems to be very samey in that sense. Mm-hmm. This, he's definitely playing with different voices mm-hmm. and different identities mm-hmm in you know as the as a poetic speaker like mm-hmm. and you know the eye is all over this i think in a way that uh, there was a distance in in white buildings mm-hmm. this as a kind of overture i think is starting to get at that you yeah know, that example of that shift into i think of cinemas kind of does that and by the way that's kind of the artist finally taking ownership for what he really wants to say i feel like you know i think that's a, that's an artist coming into coming into his own with regards to you know i know what i want to say and i know how i want to say it and now i can like kind of take ownership over that and i think that's just where you feel that sort of authentic space kind of come into play yeah um yeah i think that's fine for this yeah i could probably oh, yeah? go on and talk about nuances of it but uh yeah wow i'm surprised you want to leave well it. no i don't i mean i'm just trying to be practical here um you know, that one stanza, O harp and altar of the fury fused, yeah. how could mere toil align thy quarring strings? Terrific threshold of the prophet's pledge, prayer of pariah, and the lover's cry. I thought a little bit of emblems of conduct when he was talking about, you know, the historian is like this, you know, the prophet is thinking this way. You know, he, he's still trying to put order onto a world. As, and, and order for him has to come with how we approach the world, how we think about it. You know, and, and even here in this bridge, like Brooklyn Bridge is interesting because it's a place where the river is meeting the sea. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have this sort of place where um, what what can be an organizing principle, the river, which comes up in a little while from now, uh, a river is predictable and you can use it to transport things. Um, versus the sea, which can be chaotic and, and kind of, you know, unpredictable. Mm-hmm. And here we are. The bridge is is sort of you know, somehow a marker to that place, you know, existing. Um, I don't know. It, it just, I could see how, um, I could see how it would become a sort of synthesis of ideas for him, you know, this one yeah. specific place. And I think we have to point out that this is a very specific place, which is interesting. Oh, yeah, you know, absolutely. New York City, I mean, what's the center of the world in some ways in the 20, yeah. 1920s, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, speaking of, okay. of transports, I love how images get transported through this too. You, I know Dave likes this a lot, but yeah. you know, thy cables breathe the North Atlantic still. Mm. You get the idea of that. What, what are they called? The, the tension wires of a bridge. Tension mm. cables. Tension cables. Is yeah. that a cable? I think they, so. Those almost function as like gills. I think of like yeah. fish gills as the winds come mm. through, right? That's why the cables breathe, I think, mm. in, a, in a sense. And then down with the harp and altar... Um, By the way, there's a pun on still, because it it could be continuous, oh, yeah. but also that it creates a stillness. Static, yeah. yeah. But O harp and altar of the furious fuse, how could the mere toro align with the choiring strings? Now those strings are playing music. Yeah. 
as the winds kind of blow through them. So it's like he sees an image and grabs it and says, it's this thing. But even as he watches, that thing grows and becomes something else, mutates mm. now into mm. this kind of instrument that plays music. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's constantly changing. For something that is defined by its static nature, the poetic mind, the imagination can right. create it, can make it in flux. And that puts me back to Faustus and Helen so yeah. much. I oh, sure. Think I've been going back to that poem a lot. And by the way, I didn't even like that poem as much when we first like started it. But then after our discussion, I like couldn't stop thinking about yeah. it. Yeah, it's funny how poems can do that. Well, yeah, what poets do is they condense eternity. Right? Yeah, Th- this is a kind of statement of that. I think mm-hmm. right. It's like an ars poetica. Then yeah. Well, I-, I guess what I'm trying to say is that the Brooklyn Bridge itself, you know, is a poetic statement. I think he views it as that. It's a work of art, and that that has both the kind of specificity that you're talking about of place, mm. but also says so much about everybody's experience. And that's why it's so iconic. That's why we tend towards some images and ideas more than others, perhaps. Mm-hmm. It holds some truth in it. Yeah. Are you gonna, do you want to bring up at all that it's listed as proem in the, in the table of contents? Um, or is that just a cheeky thing that's like... Yeah, I don't know what to do with that. I, I, I feel like I'm it's sure. a play on prologue and, pro, and poem. <laughs> Oh, prologue and po- yeah, maybe. You know, but that, that's yeah, probably not. You know, it <laughs> seems like some slight like magician man, no. magician trick. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know. I thought there was there was some. I'm talking shit now. I'm sure, but I thought there was something kind of ancient about that, like like playing with the the name of like poem or something, spelling it differently. I feel like it, it's it goes back a long time. I'm not sure though. All right, I'm gonna. All right, so. All of that, I think, is just to get, I keep going back to it, like an overture, I think. Yeah. That's how I view it, right? Yeah. It's going to it's gonna be the kind of embodiment of everything that's going to come next. I, just something? interrupt, because yeah. I do hold in my hand all the known history of humanity. Um, <laughs> Proem is actually a preface or preamble to a book or speech. Oh, it is? Yeah, so it's actually, you know, it's like, a, like an epigraph, so, another one of those kind of terms. All right, so it's probably a word that comes from the same root of poem. Yeah. But the idea, but the idea that it's a preamble or preface to a book or a speech, yeah, well, is kind of interesting. Yeah. That you know, is like a speech, yeah, it's like yeah. A... You know, and and by the way, that could just very well that could just be Merriam-Webster for all I know. But um, yeah, you know, the idea that somehow this collection is 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 saying something, you know, gives it a little bit of vision. It gives it a trajectory. You know, more so than say what we got out of white buildings, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so now we get into the poem proper. Um, one of seven poems. Now, each one of these, right, is going to be their own kind of thing. Um, so we go from that into, I think, almost a literal prayer here with Ave Maria, which I thought was interesting. Do you want to know, I hit up Josh for the Latin translation of this epigraph. Oh, you did? Yeah, do you want it? I just looked it up, but that's a good source. Yeah, oh, what do you did? have? So he, he says... You're talking it, about the Seneca yeah. epigraph. Yeah, he says, um, you know, it's from a few verses of Seneca, the younger play of Medea, Here's a good published translation of it. Um, not exactly literal, but it captures precisely what the Latin means. There will come an age in the far-off years when ocean shall unloose the bonds of all things, when the whole broad earth shall be revealed, when tethys shall disclose new worlds and Thule not be the limit of the lands. That's way more fancy than uh, when I looked up. I have a very practical translation, but... You probably as a Google translator. Uh, no, no, I just looked at some, <laughs> some website or something. But, um, yeah, I, it's basically the same thing, right? What we have is, I don't know what, a, a premonition of discovering new worlds. I think of literally 
going across the Atlantic and yeah. and finding the Americas. Not that I think Seneca knew there were going to be Americas there, mm. but that something's out there. Yeah. Right. I, I feel like like there's some there, there's a not a lot, but there's several mentions of like going east in the ancient. Right. Uh, Odysseus goes east. You know, at the end of his life to seek. That might be actually in Tennyson, though. I don't know if that's... Before. I'm not sure. Yeah. No, no, it's in Dante. Okay. Right, where, where Ulysses talks about going out east. So oh, yeah. it's not any. It's not something that's, like, new, I think. But, um, well, Seneca's way before that. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe this is, uh, you know, uh, new to Seneca, new to well, thought. I'm not sure. Even, even traveling beyond, like, you know, outside the Mediterranean, that was considered, you know, kind of undiscovered country back in the time of the Greeks, right? I mean, you know, the Mediterranean kind of kept everyone nice yeah. and safe. Did I say traveling east? I meant traveling west. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's... Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I feel like that does come up at times. There are times when um, Odysseus is, is kind of skirting on the, 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 the places where are, yeah. are most remote, you know, and yet he's still in that Mediterranean Sea. Right. Yeah, there's all different kinds of theories about, like, where Odysseus really is. Some people have him in, like... As far as like Ireland and uh, really, yeah, I I never really bought into it. No. It, it seems like it's all yeah. the area around Turkey and Greece, and you know. Well, I think I think at one point he, you know, he probably travels um, beyond Italy, uh, you know, um, yeah, those to like might be southern the, shores of yeah. France and things like that. But I, I didn't yeah. picture much farther than that. Yeah, I don't know. Mar- doesn't he go? I think he's on. He's in Africa at one point, right? The land of the lotus eaters is. I thought I always thought that was on mainland Africa. I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. I, don't know. I don't remember. The details of all that. But, um, all right. So, Ave Maria is Columbus's story in Columbus's voice. Yes. Mm. All right. So, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm too modern and because I've had too many post-colonial studies classes or whatever. But I'm right away looking for, like, you know, the critique. Yeah. Of, you know, it's not really there. No. But he, I don't think he's, I don't think this is, like, a grand apology for who Columbus is either. It's a little bit of a kind of character character that he's building up here, but it's not to take him down, and it's not one hundred percent to to make him heroic either. It, it seems, no, he comes off as being kind of dopey too. A little dopey, a little <laughs> bit braggartly. Yeah. Right. A, Absolutely. Yeah, a little boorish. Yeah, I think I think a lot of the references in this first stanza are about like how he couldn't really get it together, and other people had right. to help him. Yeah, and and <laughs> those those two de- dudes are accountants. Like right. that's what they did. Like they were. Yeah. There's certainly a desperation. Oh right? yeah. He's crying out to Fernand and Isabella because uh-huh. he needs help and. It's not what he thought it was going to be. Like right. all that. You the, know? the I didn't know this. The the Pinta turned back already, and like you, you know, this <laughs> is about the trials of discovery. Yeah. You know. He's not a superhero. Mm-mm. You know what I mean? But also, there's not a huge... But I, I don't know that we can expect somebody in the 1920s to be doing a kind of no. hardcore post-colonial critique, though. You know? That's not on anybody's radar until, like, the 60s earliest, I think. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so, I don't know. You want to give this a read? I think we go for it, man. I think we read it. Yeah. 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 The whole thing through? <clears throat> Yeah, it's four pages. Yeah, man. You gonna read it? Sure. All right. Ave Maria. Be with me, Luis de San Angel, now. Witness before the tides can rest away. The world I bring. O you who reigned my suit into the queen's great heart that doubtful day. For I have seen now what no perjured breath of clown nor sage can riddle or gainsay. To you too, Juan Perez, whose counsel fear and greed adjourned, I bring you back, they. 
Here waves climb into dusk on gleaming mail. Invisible valves of the sea, locks, tendons, crested and creeping, trothing corridors that fall back yawning to another plunge. Slowly, the sun's red caravel drops light once more behind us. It is morning there. Oh, where our Indian emperies lie revealed, yet lost all. Let this keel one instant yield. I thought of Genoa, and this truth now proved, that made me exile in her streets stood me, more absolute than ever, biding the moon, till dawn should clear that dim frontier first seen, the Chan's great continent. Then faith, not fear, nigh surged me witless, hearing the surf near. I, wonder breathing, kept the watch, saw the first palm chevron, the first lighted hill, and lowered, and they came out to us crying, The great white birds, O Madre Maria, still one ship of these thou grantest safe returning, assure us through thy mantle's ageless blue. And record of more, floating in a cask, was tumbled from us under bare poles scudding, and later hurricanes may claim more pawn. For here between two worlds, another, harsh, this third of water tests the world. Lo, here bewilderment and mutiny heap whelming, whelming laughter, and shadow cuts sleep from the heart, almost as though the moors flung scimitar found more than flesh to fathom in its fall. Yet under tempest lash and surfightings, some inmost sob, half heard, dissuades the abyss, merges the wind and measure to the waves. Series on series infinite, till eyes, starved wide on blackened tides, accrete and close, this turning rounder hole, this crescent ring, sun-cusped and zoned with modulated fire, like pearls that whisper through Doge's hands. Yet no delirium of jewels. O Fernando, take of that eastern shore this western sea, yet yield thy gods, thy virgin's charity. Rush down the plenitude, and you shall see Isaiah counting famine on this lee. An herb, a stray branch among salty teeth, the jellied weeds that drag the shore. Perhaps tomorrow's moon will grant us saltus bar, Palos again, a land cleared of long war. Some Angelus environs the cordage tree, dark waters onward shake the doubt prow free. O thou who sleepest on thyself apart, like ocean athwart lanes of death and birth, and all the eddying breath between dost search, cruelly with love thy parable of man, inquisitor, Incognizable word of Eden and the enchained sepulchre into the steep savannas, burning blue, utter to loneliness, the sail is true. Who grindest o'er and arguing the mast, subscribest holocaust of ships, O thou, within whose primal scan consummately the glistening seigneuries of Ganges swim, who sendest greetings by the corpusant and Tenerife's garnet, flamed in it a cloud, urging through night our passage to the Chan, Te Deum Laudamus, for thy teeming span. Of all that amplitude that time explores, a needle in the sight, suspended north, yielding by inter inference and discard, faith and true appointment from the hidden shoal, this disposition that thy night relates from moon to Saturn and one sapphire wheel, the orbic wake of thy once whirling feet, Elohim, still I hear thy sounding heel. White toil of heaven's cordons, mustering in holy rings all sails charged to the far, hushed gleaming fields and pendant seething wheat of knowledge round thy brows unhooded now, the kindled crowned, acceded of the poles and biased by full sails, meridians reel, thy purpose still one shore beyond desire, the sea's green crying towers a sway beyond, and kingdoms naked in the trembling heart, te duum latimus. O thou hand of fire. Nice. Cool. O thy hand of fire. 
right, so the big thing that I've been kind of puzzling with, where is Columbus in his journey is when he's saying this? It's not 100% clear to me. No. I think there's one indicator, but I, I think it's... Right? So when he says, uh, perhaps tomorrow's moon will grant us the salt bars, or he's still in the midst of discovery. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. But he seems to have enough knowledge of the place to know there's land there, right? To be part of it. Um, does he still think he's I think in so. China, though? Right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, because he mentions stuff about India, too. Like, I think he thinks right. that he's going to be there. So, yeah. Right. I think he's in the midst of discovery, but doesn't really know the truth around him yet. Yeah. Right? So you have this... That seems right up Crane's alley, too. <laughs> exactly. Right, right. You know? right. That, like, ambiguity. Yeah, no doubt. Because even though he's he's claiming, you know, this, this great status of discoverer, um, which is impressive, don't get me wrong, he's wrong. Yeah. He's wrong about a lot of it. Yeah. You know, he just can't see it because he doesn't have the perspective. He, he's on the bridge. He's in the midst of passage. Yeah. yeah. Right. right. Oh, yeah. So, uh, absolutely, right? Right. The ship is a kind of bridging mechanism. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? Yes. But if you're on the bridge, you can't see the bridge. Right. You know which is why Which is why he's not as enlightened as, say, the speaker in the first right. poem, right? Exactly. The speaker in the who first poem back. who can stand back, look up at the bridge, and recognize things like the river meeting the ocean, uh-huh. or recognizing the light sort of fighting through, you know, the chain link cables and things like that. Um, but, but here he doesn't see those things, which can give him a sort of naivety that seems to occur with that speaker in this, in this Columbus poem, right? He yeah. seems to kind of be... I don't know. He just kind of seems to be both not excusing anything, but also not realizing anything either. You know, he's kind of caught. Yeah. So I think like the voice of this was, is kind of startling given all of white buildings, even after the introductory, you know, to Brooklyn bridge here, the idea that this is like full blown, like dramatic monologue, like, like Browning style. You know, it's such a crazy departure. Yeah. Right? yeah. Do we see anything like this in uh, in in white buildings? I don't think so. I don't think so. Right. It, it's it's uh, I think a radical shift yeah. stylistically. Um. I I mean, you know, this isn't my favorite thing. You know what I mean? It's a little bit, you know, too much in explaining. I think of the circumstances. I don't know that there's um. Uh, a whole lot to talk about beyond the just kind of, I don't know what the theme of like the challenge of new ideas and mm-hmm. how to articulate them in all of this. Uh, there's a couple like, you know, cool ideas here and there, but I think as a character study, it's, it's excellent. You know, as somebody that's kind of torn and working it through and, and having, um, you know, a, a sense of self that I think is being challenged by the very, essence of the journey he's on you know it's pretty compelling yeah i mean like how self-assured must you be to partake in a journey like that and like generally like how egotistical that you think you can go and do it like to a certain extent kind of comes through but it's not necessary i don't think it's you know saying like hey look at this doofus at all no 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 not not at all but i mean it it speaks to like how horrible it must have been it's reverent but not as reverent as i would have thought yeah you know yeah (laughs) So one just little thing, the first line, Luis de San Angel, he yeah. was um, like the one that really got Isabella and Ferdinand like to to 
finally like finance this. He actually paid for a lot of it out of his own pocket. Oh, really? He was an accountant. But the other thing that's interesting is he's Jewish. So his oh. family was persecuted during the Crusades, but then they pardoned that one of his uncles was actually killed. But then they pardoned him and the rest of his family because he was such a good accountant. Really? Which is kind of interesting. <laughs> and then Juan Perez later goes to the New World when Columbus goes back and he he or maybe he goes with him the first time, I can't remember, but he's he does like the first mass. In the new world. Oh, okay. That's interesting. So it's kind of interesting that he chooses books. Because obviously there are a ton of figures that kind of help him along the way and kind of support him or mm. whatever. But it's interesting that he chooses those two. Yeah. So um, I, I just like looked up very, you know, scan research. I got that, you know, the first guy is a bookkeeper. The second guy was on the ship. Yeah. I thought that was interesting just for the idea that we do have a kind of shift in perspective here. But it's different than the usual crane perspective shift. This is the guy in the moment trying to look through the eyes of other people or try to anticipate the thoughts of a guy back in Spain and a guy that's here, you know, and I don't know, kind of empathize mm. with them perhaps to understand himself. Yeah, mm. witness before the tides can rest away the word I bring. Yeah. Like, I saw it. Like, it's here. Right. Like, what if I don't make it? Because I think that's his other thing is his real fear is that, okay, I made it here, but, like, if I don't make it back, everybody's going to think I was wrong. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And and one and that's interesting. With that too. Oh man! By the way, that's that's also a kind of a flux of of the eternity in the bridge, mm-hmm. right? You know, you cross over the bridge, but you go back. You gotta over. go back. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. Oh yeah. And I, I thought that's why he turns to the Juan Perez figure, right? Like maybe this guy can make it back. You know, at least there's a witness here that sees right. it with me. Mm-hmm. Right. It gives him some kind of credibility, credibility, reassurance, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, but I love how that's like, almost like a kind of afterthought, you know, between those two yeah. dashes, mm-hmm. you know, before he continues the idea is like, well, at least I have this guy that knows I'm not crazy. Do you too, like Juan Perez. <laughs> yeah. There's a sense of like, I, I know his mind's reeling. Yeah. yeah. You know? Well, I got that even from my, I really like that opening phrase, be with me. I thought that that yeah. was like, I don't know what it is about that phrase, but it was almost like a person who was feeling sort of helpless. Desperate. Somebody who like was looking for guidance, and yet yeah. he's the one leading the charge here, you know? Yeah. But but that that idea of like, be with me, Luis de San Angel, you know, well, like, I need this. Yeah, structurally I thought it was very like Homeric too. Mm. You know, the the kind of, um, you know, call to the muse or something. It, yeah. has, it has that... Um, I don't know the, the directness of that. It's not the same kind of thing, but yeah. I know. But yeah, you get you get the the Omuse kind of sense of it, but with a kind of desperation. It's an interesting juxtaposition. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Just moving through, I, I saw some interesting bridge. I, mean, I like the uh, the line um, for here between two worlds, another harsh right. Always kind of whispering the idea of between things. Yeah, you know. That that that, I'm the living bridge. He recognizes that in a way, you know. And I mean, it, it, it's true, you know. Columbus is going to be the bridge between two worlds. That's going to, you know, for better or for worse, create a a new world. In section three, so section two is just that short, that one sm- short stanza. Yeah. Section three, when he says, "Oh, thou who sleepest on thyself." Who's the thou there? Because when you're talking about sections, you're talking about the, the stars, the stars, the stars yeah. that, that separate. I was wondering the about asterisk. that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wondered. Oh, thou who sleepest on thyself, apart like oceans athwart lanes of death and birth. Um, is he talking? Is that about this? Is he talking? Is he referring to the sea as thou? 
um, and all the know. eating breath between us search cruelly with love because he brings up the parable of man and I know what comes up a lot is the prodigal son mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that right. and that came up a lot in a couple of times I feel like at the end of White Buildings too didn't it didn't prodigal come up I think I think so yeah I feel like it did I think we saw it like twice yeah I feel like Crane um, you know I know I feel like Crane is wrestling with some of this sort of like um, the prodigal too was was in search for something right but had to return yeah um, and ask forgiveness of a father figure too. Um, so I don't know that that section kind of stuck out. Um, and the incognizable word of Eden, which took me back to the word, which he capitalized word that he did at the end of at, in voyages too. Mm-hmm. At the end of voyages, yeah. you know, it was the word. Um, well, I get the sense right that right before you get the first star break, right, rush down the plenitude, and you shall see Isaiah counting famine on this lead, right? That there's still kind of hope there, but there's no conclusion. We haven't gotten there yet, right? He's, yeah, there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee. He's thinking of Isaiah, right, um, you know, as a, a, a kind of prayer, you know, guidance, I think, something like that. But I think the the break now, an herb, a stray branch among the salty teeth, is the discovery, right? Isn't that the finding land? Yeah, that dragged the shore, yeah. Right? Um, a jellyweed, and that gives him hope that we can see new lands, right? That we're onto something. So that might be the shift here. Oh, you're saying that? Well, he does land like on an island first, but then Where has does to he continue. Land first? He he Hispaniola? lands like yeah, no, he lands in the Indies. Yeah. I think right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Hispaniola, isn't that where he lands first? Uh, I don't know. It's like the, I don't remember. It's the Dominican Republic. Yeah, I feel like he lands like maybe in the Dominican Republic, or even even maybe a, a smaller island, an offshoot of that. Like he could be like on Antigua or something. Yeah. But I feel like he lands on a, on an island and they're there for a little while, but then they realize that this is not an island. Yeah, it's an island, and so they have to leave and go do more. Yeah. So it could either be that, or this could just be a vision of wanting to see land too, right? The way he's kind of um, imagining things. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I think both those are possibilities. Yeah. I'm just maybe that's the explanation of why there's a kind of sections off sense mm-hmm. to that. Yeah. You know, because it's a a next know, day. A, yeah, kind of time gap or mm-hmm. sure. sense of that i'm not sure and then he becomes more i think complaint contemplative afterwards or or the prayer becomes a prayer of thanks rather than a kind of prayer of desperation before oh that's interesting oh, thou who sleepest in thyself apart from the lake ocean athwart lanes of birth and death and all the eddying breath between the search i mean it, it's so Oh, that's interesting. Kind of so big and highfalutin. And you know, if you look at this poem the way it's structured, you've got one long section, then you've got that asterisk and that short section, another asterisk, and then another long section. Yeah. Like, are we meant to believe that he's crossed and he's landed, and that's like a little island he's landed upon? Yeah. And he's and now all of a sudden he doesn't feel like he's gonna die. Yeah, dark waters onward shake the dark prow free. Yeah, I you think know? that's right. Yeah. Which is make by the way, which makes that little section its own little island in the midst of this island. poem. Yeah, which is cool. like it's a little playful. So I kinda discover- get behind that. It's the discovery, it's the landing, and it's the return. Well, I, well yeah, no, you're good. Oh no, sorry. Well I was gonna say he has to keep going, doesn't he? Yeah, because I think he's right, saying right, the glisten right. yeah, the, the Ganges, like he's like, Okay, right. I made it almost there, but gotta keep going. Right. Like, I, I mean the idea that he's no longer on the open sea, the idea he's not gonna right. die. Yeah. I, you know, I think right. that's where you sense the comfort coming in in this yeah. next final section. You know, the idea that he's hit land, and and uh, and he's not feeling yeah the that oh desperation. God we pr- yeah the oh God we praise right that's the that's the prayer he says it up 
at the top there on that page, on page eight there, you know, um, urging through night or passage to the Chan. He's like, we're going to make it over there. Like, yeah. I think that's what it is. Yeah. 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 God, uh, and, and by the way, God, we praise you to Deum Loudness right. comes up twice in that final yeah. section. Clearly, Which, that that's like a song, right? That's like a song of yeah. Of it's praise. in him. Yeah. You know, clear, clearly he's thanking the Lord for having land under the feet. You know, at one point, mm-hmm. I, I get that. That that kind of hits home. I feel like still one shore beyond desire. Yeah. yeah. Oh, thy hand of fire. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I, I the end. Yeah, right, what do you make of that? The text kind of breaks up. We see that a couple places. Yeah, it's a movie. Yeah. Starts doing. It's at the end of Indiana. I keep going back to Indiana. Mm-hmm. I really like that one. Um, what? It's a pen. It's a pen. Yeah, a pen that says that. just coincidence. Yeah. But um, but yeah, this kind of like lines trailing off. I I think he tends to mean it as kind of like an ellipsis, a kind of trailing off of thoughts. Sure. You mm. know, um, which I I think works in this poem because I'm sorry in um these poems in general in the series, because there is a sense of, I don't know, like, like ellipses to the next kind of mm. plot of time. Right. Mm-hmm. Which brings us to, to, uh, how do you, how are we saying that? Um, I think it's, Pohatan. I think it's Pohatan. 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 To Pohatan sorter. Pohatan. Maybe is it the case that each one of the end ideas of each of these poems trails off in that way to the next one? Yeah. You know, creating a little bridge in a sense. That's interesting. Perhaps. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. I didn't look that close, but um, but I mean, the scope of this, starting with Columbus, is pretty uh, it's pretty good. I mean, I don't know. I like I like the kind of formulaic nature of all of this. I think it suits Crane, right? Because it gives him space, like, within to be wild. I felt a, unmoored a lot of times in white buildings, you know, because mm-hmm. I felt there was very few rules. I, I, I liked the poems that had um, a little more structure to them so that, I don't know, there was kind of an anchoring of the, the wacky ideas that are kind of flailing about. Well, the whole structure of this this collection works that way. You know, I feel like an artist will oftentimes need form in order to contain the idea making. Yeah. You know, a lot of times idea making can feel overwhelming. And and we oftentimes might think of form as say like, you know, maybe let's control it with a sonnet or we can control it, control it with a rhyme scheme. Here he's kind of controlling it with like a larger vision. And, and, and that might be good for Crane. Perhaps that helps him get to the material. I mean, I, I, I've yet to... F- think for myself whether or not this is like his best work but I guess I just have to believe it because all the <laughs> critics suggest it right yeah. um, but okay so Pohatan 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 yeah I'm never gonna get this work yeah you got it Pohatan's okay. daughter um, is what five poems yeah six poems mm-hmm. right <laughs> that are kind of interconnected five, five. Yeah. and it's all generally dealing from what I can tell with expansionism right yeah. we're, we're established Americans here and we are looking towards the West, right? And kind of moving through it. Um, we start in what seems to be the kind of harbor on the East Coast. And by the end, we're in the Midwest heading towards Colorado, right? Right. Yeah. Um, so you have all that. Why? I mean, so there's a couple things that have to do with uh, Pohatan. Oh, my God. You got it. Pohatan's daughter, right? One is... How do all of these connect to her, which is Pocahontas, and why isn't Elizabeth this... Warren or? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, isn't it? Uh, this is a premonition of the coming Elizabeth Warren. Um, and why isn't it called Pocahontas? You know, I, I think that's all important. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But I, if we could just go through real quick, did you see a clear connection to a Pocahontas to all of these? Some it's it's far more prominent than others. Yeah. But um. Yeah, not yet. <laughs> yeah, and we can kind of work through that, I guess. But she so she doesn't seem to be a kind of central figure in any of these. In the river, I think, right? It's the river that has a lot of the Native American. Yeah. Uh, I that one is kind of most, and that's kind of central. But it strikes me as odd to kind of put her at the center of it all. You know, I don't know what the what the deal is with that. It's like I, I feel like the treatment of the Native American here is this kind of like background sense. You know yeah. that. That we're going to make our expansion. Every now and then we're going to bump into these guys that have lived here. And, you know, there, there's a kind of, you know, geniality. There's a, a respect there. You know, um, it's certainly not anything violent or, or I think, fundamentally, you know, biased. But to call it that gives me a different expectation. You mm -hmm. know, when I would see this title, I would think that this would be, you know, more the intersection between Europeans and Native Americans and it'd be more explicitly about that but I don't think it is no there's more subtext to it but she so the story of Pocahontas is that she does go back to England though yes right yeah as kind of like a exotic curiosity yeah 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 for her uh or what? you mean what's the exotic curiosity that she serves as an exotic curiosity in England for that right, right. got it yeah. yeah yeah um you know, which there's all kinds of... Like, it's know, interesting that he would choose Pocahontas versus, say, like, if this is the idea, like, versus someone like Sacagawea, who actually, like, helps Westward right. Expansion in a huge way in terms of, like, helping Lewis and Clark, like, get West. It's just kind of interesting, like... Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I'm no, not I know. I'm not sure. I, I mean, you know, I, I don't know too much about Pocahontas and that, you know, nobody, mythology... Nobody and, does. That's right. kind of the thing, like... Well, that's why we start does, out with this... this um, does she ever have the... Stracky, I think idea right i think we're supposed to question this epigraph as like you know is this the story like how can we trust the story you know this does seem to be a little bit of a a meta critique of of the legend i think so then it becomes a remaking of the legend and she's not as in it as much trying to well, make her less of a, a i don't know maybe it's trying to roll back the legend yeah. you know in a sense you know make it imbue it back with the mystery or the, the real sense of not knowing her? I, I don't know. I'm, is there a love story between her and that captain that you always hear about? Well, Captain John Smith. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's hokey, right? That's not... Um, um, I don't know if it's real, but I think it's it's even legend before Disney shows up. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, Fucking Disney. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, so the the big myth, and this is in the Disney movie, is that they're gonna like ex the tribe is gonna execute John Smith, and she's like, no, right. don't do it. That's <laughs> no, it. I love, <laughs> him. I love it. him. Did they kill him? They should fucking kill him. Uh, <laughs> but then they. Why, why so, but it's I just kid. Because then they capture her. She becomes a captive. Yeah. After she does that. Yeah. Huh. So. I don't. Maybe I'm wrong here, but I always got. But the she sense, converted to Christianity. Yeah, I always got the yeah. sense that Pocahontas was kind of a sellout. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah. Right. Somebody that didn't they force her probably well, to be. You know, look, I'm not gonna blame Pocahontas. She was yeah. a no. young girl that was overwhelmed, but she was the civilized savage. Right. She so maybe was, that's why it's selected as such. She was the best face at. of right. 
of this kind of savagery. Or so she's a bridge <clears throat> from a human perspective. Is that possible? Definitely. So definitely. Yeah. Because she, I mean, she kind of embraces Christianity, marries an Englishman, <clears throat> yeah. not John Smith. Right. Right. So so John she. Wolf. Everyone's so she, named John. She's somehow crossed from different humanities and cultures in, in ways like you know you don't get let's say um, a white settler you know pr- living with the Indians. You know, you, you don't have that story. Well, no, we have... We have I mean, we have Last of, Mohicans or something. No, there's a lot of, um, uh, you know, European captive by Native American narratives and things like yeah. that. Oh, yeah, that's like the first early American yeah. writing. Yeah, right. exactly. So then... They wha- use the word ground nut in all of them. What the hell is a ground nut? Okay, <laughs> really? Is that you eat off the ground? Is it an acorn? Yeah. What is it? Okay, it's, it's when you're scavenging. Unrelated. I misspoke. I don't think it's a lot of them. Yeah, but yeah. there's enough there's that some, like, yeah. I've read them. You know? Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, like any native, like any American like literature class you really started with one of those, right? 19th century or early American, yeah, you know, early authors. Like that kind of thing. Yeah. Because that's before, like, Bradstreet and, mm-hmm. and that stuff. So then how come Pocahontas? I mean, is there some... Is that a going back? Because it's it's in... I guess... If Columbus is crossing, Pocahontas is returning? Is there something uh, like with that? Yeah, I oh. think this is the idea that she's, you know, the noble savage. This idea comes, and so, you know, I think... <laughs> I think uh, I think Crane buys into the noble savage. Uh, yeah, no, I think so. So I, I guess yeah. that makes sense, right? Um, I think we can see that obviously now is problematic and all that stuff, but yeah, I, I don't, I can sense in him not wanting to oversimplify that. No, you know what I mean. But I, at core, I think you're right. Yeah, you know, um, it's not racism; it's condescension yeah. in a Rousseauian sense. Yes. I think. Um, yeah, but she's. I don't know why the myth builds around her, right? I think it's because. There's something kind of fundamentally romantic about, you know, um, love that, you know, shouldn't be and and overcoming, you know, it's kind of an easy narrative. Well, also, I would imagine if she if based on this epigraph, if she's this beautiful naked creature walking around the place, this is a history that's been told by men. So like, you know, of course, they're going to want to focus on her, you know, it's like, yeah, uh, that's a huge part. And and that's why she's identified as the daughter of the man. Exactly. kind of property rather than somebody in her own right. Right, I think but that, I mean, Powhatan is like a big, I mean, like, he's not just like that tribe's chief, like, he's like a chieftain like, in like the Virginia, like, that whole area. He's kind of deal. a big deal. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so it's interesting, because it's interesting that she is the person that leaves and goes and does that. It's yeah. like somebody that you think would be more tied and tethered to the land, yet she's the one that crosses over. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. Huh. Well, I mean, taking for granted who he is and his stature... She's bartered in, in essence. Oh yeah. You know she becomes um, currency to bridge these two cultures. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. I think that's right. Um, all right. So this girl's gold, right? That's it. That's like the <laughs> trade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the okay. So the th- this piece, the Harbor Dawn, I think is mostly just a kind of like mood piece of the kind of opening sense of settling. Mm-hmm. That's what I got, mm. right? You want to you read through? All right. Yeah. Do you want me to read the epigraph too? Or? No. All right. The Harbor Dawn. Insistently through sleep, a tide of voices. They meet you listening midway in your dream. The long, tired sounds, fog-insulated noises, 
gongs and white surplices, beshrouded whales, far strum of foghorns, signals dispersed in veils. And then a truck will lumber past the wharves as winch engines begin throbbing on some deck, or a drunken Steve Dory's howl and thud below come echoing alley upward through dim snow. And if they take your sleep away sometimes, they give it back again. Soft sleeves of sound attend the darkling harbor, the pillowed bay, somewhere out there in blankness steam, spills into steam, and wanders, washed away, flurried by keen fifings, eated among distant chiming buoys adrift. The sky, cool, feathery folds, suspends, distills this wavering slumber, slowly, immemorially, the window, the half-covered chair, ask nothing but this sheath of pallid air. And you beside me, blessed now while sirens sing to us, stealthily weave us into day, serenely now, before day claims our eyes, your cool arms murmurously about me lay. While myriad snowy hands are clustering at the panes, your hands within my hands are deeds, my tongue upon your throat singing, arms close, eyes wide, undoubtful, dark, drink the down, a forest shudders in your hair. The window goes blonde slowly, frostily clears. From Cyclopean towers across Manhattan waters, two, three bright window eyes a glitter, disc the sun released, aloft with cold gulls hither. The fog leans one last moment on the sill, under the mistletoe of dreams, star, as though to join us at some distant hill, turns in the waking west and goes to sleep. That's pretty good. Mm. Yeah. All right. So, I, I think I have a, a sense of this, but I'm not. I don't feel great about it. Um, so this is the one I think most captures the the modern interspersed with the ancient. Or yeah, the, it's like the dream. Right? Yeah. So what I see is like you know you start off with this kind of East Coast sense of the kind of fog, the new dawn of the day, whatever it is. And the, like, the first um, stanza, generally speaking, is, is, could be any time, right? I mean, it, it's, I guess just foghorns are more modern in nature. But by the time you get to the second stanza, you're very clearly, I think, in modern space yeah. with ships and, you Truck. know. winch engine, yeah. Right, with engines and things that speak to early 20th century, Right. But I think it's always trying to evoke the sense of this land uninhabited and ancient that that still kind of lingers there. It's like almost like a ghost like dream like um, sense over the modern world that this the speaker is trying to see. Right. And the speaker is somebody in a window looking out at, you know, the docks or something like that, trying to kind of move into the past and explore it, mm. right? That's the kind of overall yeah. sense I get. You know, and, and there's constant kind of play with, you know, like sirens, right? Um, that could be the sirens of mm. a car outside. It could be the mm. mythological sirens, you know, calling sailors over, whatever that is. That there's this, the mythological and the, the currents are, are blending and melding, Yeah. right? Which I think is ultimately something about, you know, the imagination of the poet, right? You know, that the poet has to work across time in those spaces. Mm -hmm. The poet is a bridge, in essence. And I think the italicized bit in the middle 
is the which is is kind of a a standard love poem it, it seems right that doesn't have much to do with everything out is the kind of musings in the mind is the kind of poetry that's coming from this imagined scene so that all the standard writing that is the stanzas poem is or the thoughts i guess the uh yeah the thoughts of the poet the imagination of the poet and this is the composition that's going to emerge from that i'm not sure hmm. <laughs> that that's how i'm seeing it right and then you get into you know um cyclopean towers and all of this and you know that could either be you know the old mythological idea of the cyclops or you know, a building with a window in it or something like, right? All of these things kind of mutate and move between these I, two spaces. I wrote down Faustus and Helen for next to this poem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like there's so much that come. Yeah, that, that transformation. Yeah. You could clearly see that those heavy poems toward the end of White Buildings that we suggested were, were deepening in complexity. You could definitely see how that's led into his new work. Right. Um, yeah, I think so. If If we go back to the title, right? The Harbor Dawn or the co-title, I don't know, not co-title, uh, yeah, subtitle, yeah, whatever. Um, I think that works in two ways, right? You get the discovery of the new unexplored land, right, which is about expansion and about the Columbus idea that came before, right, This the new dawn of the new world, something like that. Right. But you also get the contemporary person's new day, right? Again, we're, we're conflating, you know, the eternity into, you know, the, this little symbolic you know, uh, poetic experience of this person, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think it works on those two levels and that's how we're supposed to understand it. And it ends with the idea of turning westward, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And going to sleep. Dreaming. Dreaming. Dreaming of westward expansion. Dreaming of a new world, all the new possibilities that exist. Yeah. Whether or not the person is going to go, I think is questionable, right? The... The, so two things are happening at once, right? The person that is having these thoughts in 1920, whatever, is just going to go to sleep and dream of those things and have that visceral experience or vicarious experience where the people 300 years prior are going to have the real visceral experience of of it happening. But modern world works differently than the world, the world of exploration, the world of discovery does, yeah. mm-hmm. right? But... In Hart's mind, it's simultaneous, in a sense, mm. right? They're kind of cyclically overlapping, in a way, in in certain ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all. Good. That's cool. Know. Yeah. All right, Van Winkle, I like a lot because I love Rip Van Winkle. <laughs> uh, so you guys know, read oh, the, yeah. the Washington Irving. I love it so much. Yeah. But that is very much a story about. I've been writing years. I've I've used to teach it a lot. Um, it's a story about. Gaps of time as well, yeah. right? You know, of, of a kind of transportation through. It's it's sleep. it's interesting. <laughs> it's like a really interesting like time travel story. It's really, yeah, yeah, yeah. People don't actually recognize that as science fiction it so much. Kind of but is, it kind though. of is. I know. Yeah, it's people, interesting. Yeah, people say Poe, right? Which is probably a decade or two after. Yeah. Rip Van Winkle is the first like science fiction, for, you know, but. There is a sense of that, you know? I mean, it's probably more technically fantasy. Fantasy, but... where you get the bowling and all yeah. that. It's kind mm. of fantastical and... Right, yeah, yeah. and fun. But the um, but yeah, that, that's what it's about. It, it's it's a great symbol for these time lapses. But it's also good because it evokes early American literature, right? Mm-hmm. Washington Irving's really the first 
I think, heavy hitter in yeah. terms of fiction. Yeah, right? Yeah, definitely. Right, there's poetry before, there's nonfiction before. But, but he's like America's He's the guy. Like, he's the guy. Yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah, so so I think this is like a great next step, right? If we're thinking, right, we've just come into America, we're thinking about it as like the dawn of things. Now we have literature evoked. Yeah. Right, now we have culture. Yeah. Right. Right, this is the beginning of a new American voice. Right, and it's kind of cool because we're still, we're like in early, early New York. We're still kind of in right. Crane's space, which yeah. is cool. Yeah. By the way, as he's creating this sort of linear trajectory of, of the collection of poems, think about how interesting his title selection is. Mm. You know, how yeah. we're, we're moving like, you know, um, to Brooklyn Bridge, classic ode, Ave Maria, a sort of religious connection, you know, um, the Harbor Dawn, which is a little more of an event, you know, mm. like we're going to get to the river Indiana. Like there's definitely a diversity, but yet, they're all following that same trajectory. Yeah, we're moving west. Yeah, which I, I is kind of so, wild. Yeah. I feel what I'm trying to say is I feel like this could have done this could have very easily felt very didactic and 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 static with regards to how it was being communicated. But he's he's keeping us. It's varied. Yeah, course. there's enough variation that's really connecting us to a lot mm-hmm. and broadening our spectrum. You know, of, yeah. of what we see. All right, I think we should read Van Winkle. I think we should not read this the river. It's okay. really long. It's really long. I really like it, though. I do, too. I like um, it, too, but, but it's But I think long. we can probably get that. But, but, read, right. read it. You yeah. know you want to. I'll read Van Winkle. What, The River? <laughs> no, Van Winkle. Oh, yeah. Van yeah, Van you want to read Van Winkle. Um, how do you say the first word? McAdam? I think it's Macadam. Macadam? Macadam. I'll look it up. I'm not sure. Well, I'm going to go for it. I know. Yeah, Macadam. Van Winkle. Macadam. Uh, gun gray as a tunny's belt. Leaps from the far rock away to Golden Gate. Listen. The miles of hurdy-gurdy grinds, down gold arche- uh, arpeggioed, mile on mile unwinds. Times earlier, when you hurried off to school, it is the same hour through a later day. You walked with Bizarro in a copybook, and Cortez rode up, raining tautly in, firmly as coffee grips the taste, and away. There was Priscilla... Uh, Pris- Priscilla's? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Priscilla's cheek close to the wind and Captain Smith all beard and, and uh, certainty and Rip Van Winkle bowling in the way is this sleepy hollow friend <laughs> and he and Rip forgot the office hours and he forgot the pay. Uh, Van Winkle uh, sweeps a tenement way down on Avenue A. The grind organ says remember, remember the cinders pile at the end of the backyard where we stoned the family of young garter snakes under and the monoplanes we launched and the paper wings and twisted rubber bands. Recall, recall the rapid tongues that flitted from under the ash heap day after day whenever your stick discovered some sunning itch of unsuspecting fiber, it flashed back at your, thru- uh, at your thrust as clean as fire. And Rip was slowly made aware that he, Van Winkle, was not here, nor there. He woke and swore he'd seen Broadway, a Catskills uh, daisy chain in May. So memory that strikes a rhyme out of a box or spills a random smell of flowers through glass, is it the whip striped from the lilac tree? One day in spring my father took to me, or is it the sabbatical, unconscious smile, my mother almost brought me uh, brought me once from church, and, on- and once only, as I recall. 
It flickered through the snow screen blindly. It forsook her at the doorway, and it was gone before I had left the window. It did not return with a kiss in the hall. McAdam, gun gray as the tunny's belt, leaps from far rockaway to Golden Gate. Keep hold of that nickel for car change, Rip. Hmm. Have you got your times? And hurry along, Rip Van Winkle. It's getting late. <laughs> I really like that because it's playful. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah, there's so much kind of fun in this. This is a completely different voice from the ominous voice of, um, what was it called? Harbor Dawn. And, and from the kind of majestic voice of Brooklyn Bridge. And also from the, the serious desperation of Columbus. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, he was not playful at all. Like, he was just, like, kind of stone serious in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because Rip Van Winkle, like, kind of embraces it. Like, he's confused in the story. Yeah. He's confused. And then he's like, okay. He's a goof. Damon Van Winkle's gone. That's great. Like, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. He loves the idea that he's that in a new world. awful wife is gone. Yeah. Yeah. But there's all kinds of transformation here as well, right? Um, and I think the transformation is more expressly laid out, right? You get the kids that are mm-hmm. in their books learning about the explorers we just talked about. And those are education. Reading is a transformation, is a bridge mm-hmm. to other worlds and things like that. Um, right, uh, music that comes later as a, a kind of metaphor for movement towards discovery sure. right the, the the organ grinder all of those things memory the, you know this idea of remember you know the grind organ says remember remember the cinder pile at the end of the backyard this idea that somehow our memories we have to pull into the present moment in order to understand where we are in the in the our present consciousness mm-hmm. yeah yeah um i love the first stanza though how it it's really just a, a grand bridge, mm. right? You know, from, of Westford expansion. Yeah, Rockaway yeah. Beach, is that what that is? Far Rockaway. Yeah. yeah, yeah, from from Queens <laughs> to... Golden Gate. San Francisco, essentially, right? That's going to be the, the bridge moving forward, right? And I like how he puts it in musical terms, right? You get the hurdy-gurdy grinding, but the uh, arpeggios, mile-on-mile, mm. mile, right? Or, arpeggios are like how you hit a note, right? It, it's some kind of... Uh, some kind of technical musical thing. Like Josh would know. If, yeah. yeah. Like, he would know exactly what it is. I but, like how he names it Golden Gate instead of, like, you know, the West Coast or something, right? Like, yeah. this idea he's naming another bridge. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and also, gold's going to come up soon as mm-hmm. a, a big idea, too. Sure. Um, and also connects into Pizarro and Cortez, you know. And right. All those conquistadors looking for gold. It's the notes of a chord played in succession. Okay, right. Yeah, so... Either ascending Accords or descending. Accords are played together, it's arpeggios, like blah, blah, blah. It, yeah. Right. It's a scale within. So I see that as like, as you move west, you have all these kind of like, you know, each stop is a kind of note in this song you're singing, something like that, mm. you know, moving forward. But yeah, it's, it's all these different ways, I think, to capture these ideas. This one is just kind of focused on, I think, the literature as a particular way to move through time, you know? Mm-hmm. which I think is very clever. Um, Reference to the lilac tree, and maybe a little shout-out to Walt Whitman. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good, too. Yeah, and on the on the second page of it, right, you get the, the memory, as Dave was bringing up, you know, that um, that has, like, uh, like, a Proustian idea with, with how memory comes to you. Uh, the smell of the flowers kind of brings you back. 
And you well, know? I also right here a shift in voice. I feel like it also is it. It feels like a personal memory, right? Yeah, I, I think there is a shift, right? You, you get less playful, I think, in the um, in that stanza. Yeah, it's but more, it, but it it's also more philosophical. It also feels like a speaker's personal like eye memory, which I think is would be the first we really kind of get. We don't really get too personal with the speaker, um, right? Or is that supposed yeah, to be think, Rip Van Winkle? No, I don't think it's Rip Van Winkle. I, don't either, I, I, yeah. I think it's the you know the I I want to say this like it's absolutely the truth, but like the adult speaker that is thinking back to the memory of discovering these things for the first time. That's yeah. how I read it. No doubt. I, I do too, but it's still a very personal memory that comes into play, which is kind of interesting because this has been, this whole collection's been about, you know, Columbus and Pocahontas and, and all of a sudden now he's, he's going to layer some kind of personal, um, you know, confessions in there too. I don't know. I, I just thought that that was like a striking moment for yeah. me. It kind of stuck out. Yeah, it's cool. And and the last stanza... Have you got your times? Yeah. You, I, mean, I figured great. you'd love that. I love that. Um, well, I love it, you know, because it plays off of, you know, the a stanza we saw earlier and has like a kind of cyclical refrain idea, right. which yeah. is thematically potent. And how songs work. How songs work, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, has variation here. And so I think we've already taken for granted the idea that the speaker exists in both times, right, because of the experience of literature. But this actually, he's made Rip, to, brought Rip to the present. To the present. Yeah, yeah, yeah no doubt. It, it mirrors the story. Yeah. Right, right? So right. Now, now Rip is in our modern world with, with his times and having a conversation as if he's a real person in the space. And, and there's also... I, I love that. Yeah, I figured you would, especially with this idea of the times. It's almost like they both are like readers now, you know? Like, uh, hey, you get your times? Let's go. Right. You know, we're on adventures now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, even the the name, the times, you know, right? It's, idea, all, it's all the times. The, the yeah. idea that he just calls it the times, and then look at the last phrase. It's getting late, um, right. you know. Which I don't know. I I think he's definitely. You think about the, the play with time in this collection, even just so far. You know, you have to sus- you have to suspend time in some ways. Yeah, Maybe okay. the bridge suspends time for us. Yeah, yeah, that's good. When, when we're that's in, it's interesting. All right, so let's not read the river. Yeah. I like the river. I though. do too. Yeah. I do too. I do too. So going through it, right, uh, you get the sense of just all kinds of new discoveries, right? It, from what I can tell, it's just it's a series of different voices that travel. Yeah. Right. I, I was thinking of it. I, I wrote down here. Um, I had the river as metaphor for diaspora, and I was thinking about all these different people just moving westward. Mm-hmm. And their movements like a river. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and yet the river... Uh, rivers are portals. Right. And But yet, you know, if you think about a lot of the rivers in our country, you can't travel the rivers to go west, right? You have to cross them. Right. Which is interesting. Um, yeah, for the most part. Yeah. I think. Um, I mean, you could probably take the Ohio River yeah. down for a while, but that's like about it. The other rivers, you'd be going... Up to you'd be going up the Missouri River to 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 go west. You know what I mean? I mean the river. I guess what was interesting about this was that the river is not going to take you west, and yet it becomes the metaphor for all the people traveling west. You know, I don't know. It's just kind of interesting. Yeah, kind of. I think it's just in a larger sense. Mm-hmm. You know, in a symbolic sense, it, it's it's transportation. You know, I mean, I think like of Twain. You know, yeah, like it, it it has that kind of like. Folksy travel appeal. No yeah. doubt. 
people on the tracks and all that kind of stuff right. and riding the rails. Because that becomes... Well, that comes in here, too. Right. right. I was thinking about Wendy and Lucy because I know you liked a lot about that. You liked that... Um, the hobo life? Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, you get hobos here. You get uh, explorers here. You yeah. get the Native Americans that are more nomadic in nature, that, that are travelers. Well, here's what's interesting. So I was stuck on this physical river because, you know, he talks so much about the river and the sea meeting with the bridge. I mean, the, you have to think about this river literally when you first come to it oh, yeah. in this poem. It can't just become a metaphor. It slowly does become a metaphor in this poem. And you know what slowly happens? This train imagery comes in. It's almost like the train becomes the river it westward. It replaces it. Yeah. It repla- oh, well, yeah. it's, I think it's the idea that, like, yeah. as things progress, like even going back to the last poem, that there's literally a road that, you know, roads will connect you between. Yeah. It's not a real, it's not an interstate highway yet. No. It's a however you say that word, which is like a stone cobbled together street. Right. right. But, like, you know, it's, it's a, uh, yeah, it kind of, like, the river itself, like, of transportation, like, continues to change and that kind of stuff. Yep. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, and it's going to be that railroad that essentially connects the country, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. that's going to be the, the vision of, of industry and progress for the country. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I, I guess we're not there yet in terms of the kind of scope of the, the poem collection altogether, you know, but but I think the rivers is probably a little more organic anyway, and can connect more of these factions. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you use trains, which is a fine metaphor to use, I think it cancels out, say, the Native Americans that are going to be prominent in this section of the poem. Mm. Something like that. Well, but the train gives you tension, right, between the, the modern oh, yeah, world, no, right? Yeah. Gives yeah. you that yeah. same An tension. empire wilderness of freight and rails. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the trains do show up in here. Yeah. A lot. A bit, yeah. Um, all right, so I had, I had a question about the structure of this, right? So you start out, it's pretty much um, free verse for a while. Then eventually it becomes couplets. And then it becomes um, AB, AB rhyme schemes. Mm-hmm. I think and it ends that way. Wait, you don't mean literally stanza couplets. You mean the, the rhyme scheme comes in couplets. The, the rhyme schemes yeah. are couplets. Got it. Right, yeah, exactly. And then the very end is... A A A A in that last stanza, right? So I was trying to figure out like why that is, and it's I don't think it's exact, you know what I mean? But that seems to be the general pattern. It's it seems to be organizing itself more and more as the poem goes, right? It starts out fairly chaotic, and then moves slowly into organized, and at the very end, repetitive. Well, isn't that isn't that the way people? Would, would migrate, you I know. It, I think it's like civilization. A, yeah, like a diaspora for that. You know, yeah. you, you, you think about the web of people that start converging upon, let's say, this, this railroad westward. Right. They're coming from all over the East Coast, you know, onto this train, and then it's this kind of river. And, and I'm speaking metaphorically, not necessarily literally. But this idea that, you know, at first it's going to be messy and chaotic, right. but eventually they're going to cooperate and, and collect and, and collect and, and move. So, yeah. so that would almost make sense. Right. And, and this, this poem is specifically, I think, about the movement. We ha- I mean, Columbus was moving, you know, uh, I guess too. But this is about, I think, the civilization kind of component of what mm-hmm. Ameri- what's going to happen in America. Yeah. So I think, I think he's very cleverly mirroring that in structure. Yeah. I, I mean, sections, section two, after the first page, section two starts off 
which I love so much. The last bear shot drinking in the Dakotas <laughs> loped under wires that span the mountain stream. Like, yeah. if you want to talk about the collision of nature and, and developing, you know, a, a developing mm-hmm. industrial country, you know, um, that's what we did. We went west. We shot bison. We shot wolves. We shot bears because they did not fit with, um, you know, our idea of, of, of living in this space. They were dangerous for us. And so what do we do? We put up electrical wires and we start modernizing the place. You know, that... Yeah, if, if there's any, like, critique of modernity here, I think it's this poem. No doubt. It's it's slight, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's it's scathing or anything. I, I don't know. I don't know about slight. I, don't, I mean, it might not be totally in your face, but... Yeah, I well, think... I, like, so the first two stanzas here that are kind of like this kind of ad language, right? Yeah. Um, I think it's supposed to be like a send-up of all the, the idea that America is becoming commercialized and, you know, all these products and... I like, uh, right, Thomas A. Ediford, which is like Edison and Ford kind of combining into mm-hmm. this one mm. two-headed monster of industry. And I, there, it's playful. That's what I mean by slight. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? It's not like, I, I don't think um, Crane's holding anybody's feet to the fire here. But yeah. he's aware that, you know, this is a problem of modernity. Yeah. I, I mean... The commercialization, the the overstructuring of it all. I think the playfulness perhaps undercuts the tension. If that's perhaps, you know, a way to look at it. Um, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I mean that, that first stanza, those first two stanzas of, of the second section after that first asterisk, I feel like those are pretty heavy, you know. Um, keen instruments strung to a vast precision bind town to town and dream to ticking dream but some men take their liquor slow and count though they'll confess no rosary nor clue the river's minute by the far brook's year under a world of whistles wires and steam caboose like they go ruminating through Ohio Indiana blind baggage to Cheyenne tagging maybe Kalamazoo I feel that's kind of cutting in some ways you know Um, especially for Crane I, I don't think I've seen that kind of voice come out of Crane just yet um what do you think the the focus of the critique is though i I think it's that westward expansion i think it's like as as we're moving westward this to me is like the end of heart of darkness uh, part one part part one of heart of darkness when he's talking about that band of that el dorado exploring expedition just sort of like you know taking what they could and and exploring like these people are, are going west. They're shooting bears. They're they're putting up electrical wires, and they're and they're drinking liquor in the process. You know, and not I, even I paying mind true. to their decision making. I see as much kind of like freedom and and I don't know. You think Crane's romant- romanticizing a little bit? Really? I think both things are happening. Interesting. Yeah, the idea that you you know. Maybe Kalamazoo, maybe we'll be there, you know? Uh, look, that, look, the world is our oyster. Look at the next section. Time's rendings, time's blendings, they construe as final reckonings of fire and snow. Strange bird wit, like the elemental exist. gist. Yeah. Both exist, both fire and snow. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's why he's very aware, I think, of the duality of, of all of these enterprises, but... Yeah, because that whole next bit is about like being like, ah, remember home, remember exactly. home, that's the best. But it's the idea that like the river doesn't stop and like the river of people moving across the country or up the country or whatever, like that doesn't stop. Like you get swept into it even if you love your home. Like you have to leave. Yeah. Like that because it ties into this idea of industry and all the stuff that he brings up in the first part. It's like you gotta, you, you can't stay. Yeah, exactly. It, it's the tension. Of the, that's what Indiana is all about. Right? right. Do I stay and become a, 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 stable citizen in this world or do I go out and explore both of those impulses exist in me 
Both of them have um, all kinds of great possibility and all kinds of terrors. Sure. You yeah. know? I think I think that there's a lot of that in here. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I think you're right. There are those critiques, but they're balanced. Yeah. I will... I mean, even in that one section, what's interesting is that it starts off, in my opinion, kind of cutting and very direct, but then ends with what Galen just pointed out, which is this sort of storytelling of these road gangs who are kind of like, they don't even know why they're leaving. If life's not so bad, like, what are you doing? So there is, I can see there's like... The spirit of America setting them off. But, but yeah. It, It is. I mean, like, it's interesting just like even, you know we have such a sense of like you have to you have to leave home to become an adult mm-hmm. like Europeans don't do that no. yeah they just kind of you just kind of not that people don't move but it, like even in the sense of like college and all that kind of stuff that eventually develops as like a rite of passage as like an american rite of passage Definitely. they don't do that there yeah yeah america every generation has multiple archetypes of like the restless youth you know right. whether it's i don't know cowboys or or biker gangs, or, you know, everybody has a version of, of of getting out. You know, there's no frontier anymore, but there's still, you know... You gotta move. Travelers, and, like, you know, hippies going out to San Francisco, and right. movement. And by the way, now it's movement onto, onto social media. Well, you it know, could now be. It's, now the, that new no, it's ex- ex- expansion. <laughs> and Portland, and all the cities that get gentrified, and they open a bunch of breweries, and then they leave to move to the suburbs. Mm. I love breweries. Of course. Everyone does. That's why, you know, people keep opening That's why it gets gentrified. (laughs) Yeah. um, But I I think Crane has that. He has that sense. And I think good and bad comes with every one of those. Okay. Those those archetypes. I have a question. Page 17. Okay. So the stanza is, the river spreading flows and spends your dream. What are you lost within this tideless spell? You are your father's father and the stream, a liquid theme that floating niggers swell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so is that about, is that like about like, you know, northward movement of black people from the south, like during the 20s? Like, is that the great northern move? Like, what is that? So I actually circled that and I wrote thesis of this section. Right? The Well, just the first line, but maybe the first two. Yeah. River that... spreading flows and spends your dreams. What are you? Lost within the tide was spell, right? That is everything we've just been talking right. about. This that's why down. I brought it up, but then the second part I don't follow. So I think um, the second two lines are going to be a. I mean, I think the your here is going to be, you know, the white American, right? Mm-hmm. Because you know the the black American that's re- discussed in the next line is seems outside of that, right? So I think it's going to be a clumsy attempt in this Whitmanian manner to, I think, get the whole scope of mankind or all Americans are yeah. under the same condition of restlessness wanting to move. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So your father's father, I think, is the sense of having ancestry that you can go back and recall as being part of this land. But also the cycle of this is not new. Everybody moves around and everybody has this restless right. spirit in it. But even the, you know, I think, unfortunately, the lowliest of people migrate, mm-hmm. which are going to be the, the African-Americans, the early African-Americans that are moving as well, mm-hmm. right? Go, go back two pages earlier. There was a, a shift. I, I think this speaks a little bit, perhaps, to that. It helps us, helps prepare us, perhaps, to read that. Um, 
the, on top of 15 where it says, you know, there's a, a clear stanza break. Behind my father's cannery works, I used to see rail squatters ranged in nomad raillery. Mm-hmm. The ancient men, wifeless or runaway, hobo trekkers that forever search an empire wilderness of freight and rails. Each seemed a child like me on a loose, por- a loose perch, holding to childhood like some termless play. John, Jake, or Charlie hopping the slow freight, Memphis to Tallahassee, riding the rods, blind fists of nothing, Humpty Dumpty clods. Hmm. So I thought back to Black Tambourine. Is mm-hmm. that the poem? The mm-hmm. second poem of White Buildings? Uh, correct. Right? Yes. Where he's looking at the, the black man working in his father's candy shop, right? And, and wondering if this was the best place where he was or if he had other aspirations of things, but still recognizing him in the moment. I forget exactly what we talked about. The tambourines about. hanging on the wall in the background, not being played. But not being played. Right. Um, and and what's interesting is this is I, like the last poem we talked about, like I brought up before. There's that n- another like sort of personal shift for the speaker. Yeah. Cannery works. I mean, is that could that just be any speaker? It seems to hit a little home with Crane. You know, he I worked think, at his father's candy candy yeah, factory. There was also cannery involved. In, there I was. Saw, I saw that in the biography. Too, it was okay. Yeah. So like, there's there's these interesting subtle references to sort of a kind of personal mythology as yeah. well that's kind of wrapped up in this, and I wonder if yeah, I don't, he sees himself as part of that working class community. He sees himself as like a somebody who's trying to find his way mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. So I don't know that I want to call that Crane, but whoever the speaker is, yeah, here, that right? speaker. For me, this is what this is what this poem is all about, right? You have these two stanzas that are this kind of like ad, this kind of like white noise of American advertising and capitalism mm-hmm. that are almost stifling the speaker. The first section? First two stanzas. Okay. Then, so the 20th century, right? I love that so, you know? Yeah. Like, and I feel like the rest of the poem is a kind of musing on an alternative to that right. stagnation. He right. He views that as, and that's why I said that's, I think, the strongest critique I see in Crane, right? Because of that juxtaposition. There seems to be a judgment there. Mm-hmm. But the rest of it is really just kind of moving through different subcultures to figure out what it is, like to get to the essence of why people move, what this American restlessness is all about, right? Yeah, but that, that's the reason that that line sticks out to me is because they're not moving, they're floating and they're swelling the stream. Like, I feel like it's a little oh, bit... Oh, see, I thought, I thought that was just a different kind of movement. I don't know. Yeah, you, I thought, just, you think that they're dead? no. That the idea that you're floating is like you're actually not moving. You are oh, stagnant. No, I thought floating was floating down the river. I like Huck and Jim style. Maybe. That's, yeah. that's what but I thought it was. Down the river. Well, just wherever the they're idea, going. You know? Yeah. Um, you know, the swell I thought was like the tide moving them or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, th- I put them part of that. It's a liquid theme. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. It's just a, another way to travel, yeah. I thought. Um, but moving through, right, we get the, the reminiscence, right, of this kind of general sense of. You know, uh, of of folk music and and that kind of person. Mm-hmm. You know, and where, how they move about. Then you get the the hobo life and mm-hmm. thinking about those people. Um, then it moves into I think the the more privileged traveler. Where yeah. you talk about you know people getting on and off the trains and all of this, but they're still moving. Um, then you even stop to think about the brakemen and the people that run those organizations yeah. and organize them. Give a kind of sense to that. You feed the river timelessly. Yeah. Exactly, right? Um, and they're kind of functioning it because they move with the flow, even though they're not going anywhere. It's a different take on it. Right. 
Then the end, which is, I guess, the last, say, six um, or eight stanzas, are the kind of philosophical musings of all of that, right? How and, and that, you know, really beginning with the stanza that you're talking about. And that is all about, um, you know, the nature of humankind and that, you know, larger sense of movement. Um, you get, I don't know, just a, a metaphorical sense of freedom at the end of it. The river flows into the sea and is released. And you get the sense that every American that has been described moving up until that point also has that sense. Mm. But that sense is fleeting. It only lasts for so long, mm. you know? Yeah. You only get that, that kind of burst of freedom before you're bored again or whatever it is. And, and, and maybe you can think of that generationally, like, you know, the arpeggios kind of moving mm. that was discussed in the poem prior. Yeah. You know? This to me felt like the poem that most sounded like Whitman. It yeah. sounded mm. like it, it has layers to it, like lilacs last in the dooryard bloom. And it also has a sort of a naming of all these different people, the way Crossing Brooklyn Ferry has. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I, I got this sense of just kind of like he was he was really inhabiting a sort of an attempt to kind of capture American, you know, uh, experience and yeah. what that must have been like. I have it in my notes. This is Song of Myself all over. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Right, because that's what Whitman's doing in Song of Myself, right? Mm-hmm. Going and hearing different American voices and kind of, kind of collaging them all together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that's the attempt here. I think the overall, except for the first two standards, the overall tone of this is a kind of consistent, wise but folksy kind yeah. of mentality. Mm. It's, it's really way more conversational than I think a lot of his other poems. Yes, it is, and just easier to understand. Yeah, um, but I think it's it's that kind of folksy persona that's yeah. trying to understand. What makes up America? What is the patchwork of this place? Mm. And what he finds is the thing they all have all in common is this, you know, sense of movement. Yeah. The will mm-hmm. to move. or the, I, I, So I was thinking just kind of um, aesthetically, it reminded me of Aaron Copeland, you know, um, the, the composer, yeah. you know, the, the, that where it combines like kind of folksy down-homeness with an intellect Elevated. That, that yeah, this elevated sense of, of, I don't know, critique that I thought I think is amazing. I like Copeland mm. a lot. Yeah, he's doing that linguistically here. Yeah, I like this poem. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I do too. Me too. It's expansive and 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 a lot of fun. Right, this doesn't seem like work at all to read this. Yeah, you know, um, I I love the, uh, you know, the quoted sections where you hear those voices kind mm-hmm. of peeping in. You know mm-hmm. and. Aunt Sally and this and that. He's really playing with voice in, in this collection. Like, like you, both of you, I think, mentioned this earlier, but we did not see this sort of play with white buildings. The, the most we saw with white buildings is almost his own sort of voice speaking back to the, the, the first half of the poem speaker. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, here he's actually inhabiting other people's voices, which is interesting. Yeah. All right, my big question for the stanza is the last stanza on page 15. Um, and past the circuit of the lamp's thin flame, O nights that brought me to her body bare, have dreamed beyond the print that bounds her name, trains sounding the long blizzards out, I heard, well into distances I knew were hers. I think that's Pocahontas. I do too. Right? It, I'm not crazy for that. No, I think that too. I'm I wrote a, that note too. Who is this her that's popping up like... like I, 
a bunch. I it, thought it actually it was... starts in the stanza before the hers, but the the one that kind of got me was the idea of the print that bounds her name, right? Which goes back mm. to the legend of her versus the reality of her yep. and playing with those ideas. Yeah. That's, I think, the only explicit message, uh, if it is explicit, um, evocation of her, you know, being the title of this poem. Yeah. Right? And that's why I think it's fitting here, though, in a sense, because she is just kind of one part of the whole fabric of the of the whole workings, maybe? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure. What were you going to say? I'm sorry. No, no, no. I, I, it's interesting. I don't know if it works or not. I mean, I can well, understand the, the want to put her in. I think it makes sense, too, because then the next part is Papooses crying on right. the wind's long mane. Yeah, that's... Scream Redskin Dynasties that flood the brain. That's like all Redskin the Native American. Redskin Dynasty, yeah. like, that's her, right? Yeah. I actually, when I was talking about the structure of this, I, I missed that. <laughs> but, yeah, that, that those two stanzas about just kind mm-hmm. of Native American culture and it's done in a very kind of like imagistic way here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's got to be, right? It, it's her kind of bridging us into that next yeah. sense of subculture of American identity, I think. And, and we get another reference, I think, on page 16 to Ave Maria. DeSoto comes up, right? Where's DeSoto? Um, yeah, I, travelers are kind of sprinkled throughout this thing. Uh, th- this whole work, um, I don't. It's Pizarro and Cortez in Ave Maria. No, wait. no, no. That's in <laughs> Cortez are... came up in this, I think. Cortez is in the last one. Um, the Van Winkle, maybe Desoto isn't that, but yeah, all always. I think kind of reminding us of the the grand, you know, capital E explorers, mm-hmm. and you know, but I think to maybe take them down, or rather to elevate the common man. Mm. Which is a Whitman kind of move, you know? Yeah. That, that you know, the king and the pauper are the same. and Yeah. You know. I like that idea that you brought up about movement. This idea that somehow we're constantly restless. Yeah. And we have to always be moving. Um, as if we're all searching for something. Which definitely takes us back to that Job ep- epigraph. Mm. The beginning of the collection. Yeah. Yeah, and speaking Walking of the Bible, the Bible's brought up twice in, in this poem, The River, right? Once it's used as kind of sloganeering in, yeah. the, uh, in the first part, yeah, right? Yeah, that part's good. Commerce and the Holy Ghost, radio uh, roars in every home, and we have the North Pole, Wall Street, and the virgin birth without stones. Like, I love that. I love that's good critique in there. But also the River Jordan shows up, yeah. right, um, later on, and... You know, you get a sense of kind of the ancient nature of all of these things, you know, that there's a certain specific American bend to it, but it goes back all you know, the way, which I think Job is doing at large in this collection altogether. Yeah. Yeah. Um, DeSoto comes up in the third to last stanza, over DeSoto's bones, the freighted oh, yeah, floors yeah. throb past the city storied of three thrones. Oh, yeah, I got that right now. And, yeah. and you know... I tell you, you know, if you look at how Lilac's last in the Doyard Bloomed is set up, he's got a bunch of different narratives that are layered. He's got the singing thrush. He's got the Lilac's blooming. He's got the train that's carrying Lincoln's body. And all those layers are working. And, and he goes back and forth, back and forth. And then slowly toward the end of the poem, they all become layered together. And they, start to be, they become sort of interweaved, interwoven. He does that here yeah. in this poem. Right, you know, he starts off, and and it seems like all of those different sections start to sort of kind of flow together as you make 
this kind of final movement from the river spreading on the bottom of 17 into all of a sudden now DeSoto comes up and we're back to the passion uh, at the at the end of this uh, poem. Yeah, the passion and the hosannas, yeah. which I thought went back to Ave Maria as well. I was thinking of like Goya's Tongues of Fire, like yeah. this idea that we're spreading, you know, there's movement in that too, this idea that, that the Tongues of Fire gave the disciples the word to spread across, you know, continents in order to yeah. spread the word of God, this idea that you have to move outward and Perfect. expand, you know? Yeah, listen to this last stanza. It's amazing. Poise holy on its dream, a mustard glow tortured with history, its one will, flow. The passion spreads in wide tongues, choked and slow, meeting the gulf, hosannas silently below. That, that's that's a, a, a prayer to movement. Oh my God. Right? And, and I think I, so many of these poems have ended with dreams and stars and glowing imagery in the last mm. stanza. Yeah. Yeah, I really like the river. <laughs> <coughs> River's cool. Yeah, it's doing a lot. It's my favorite poem so far. Yeah. Yeah. All right. How are we doing? We're doing all right? Yeah. Okay. We're over two hours. <laughs> um, okay. So the dance. Um, why don't I remember the dance at all? It's long. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think we need to read the dance. No. no. Um, okay. It wasn't I remember crazy the dance. It. Yeah. This was maybe my least favorite yeah, collection so far. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, this one explicitly named Pocahontas. Yes. Right. And called her a bride. This is this struck me as maybe the tone of it was like had this kind of like earnest and almost like sacred kind of sense to it that I think I was off putting, right? yeah. a little dour or something. Um, but when I was reading this, I was thinking about um, the like what the dance is like as a metaphor, and I came up with four different things that it's of levels it's working on. So. I think it's, you know, the movement of time, the kind of dance of time, right? Which is centered on what we've been talking about uh, altogether. It seems to have some connection to female sexuality. Yeah, I think it's about procreation a little bit. Right, getting down, yeah. But um, particularly uh, connected to the female body a lot. There's a lot of that um, imagery. Um, And that seems to be connected to... Um, a kind of the weather, like, like, yeah. uh, you know, there's a, a the whole right because this is very narrative, right? I don't really like this poem. Yeah, no, I didn't. Well, I think that it, it's from the perspective of John Smith, right? That's how that, the eye in this I'm reading as straight up monologue, uh, you know, dramatic monologue, like Ave Maria was Columbus. I'm thinking this is John Smith, right? And his his kind of perception of how he sees. Pocahontas and and the kind of entanglements of the white man with the Native Americans and all of this. Yeah, I think it. I think it certainly does the kind of. To, and again, if this is his perspective, I'm not saying that Crane is saying this, but it does the like, the typical sort of you know likening the land to a woman's no body doubt. and all that no stuff, doubt. which is yeah. kind of old hat at this point. But I guess it makes sense. I agree. Right? I totally agree. Um, but that's like the weather becomes a thing of this big, you know, moment when the storms come and all of this. And it's kind of connected into, I think, mythos a lot. Like, mm-hmm. So there's that kind of dance. And then there is the journey, the dance of traveling. Right. right? All of those seem to kind of coalesce, I think. And this is probably four or five more. But yeah, I, I thought you were going to say something. No. Adirondacks are mentioned. 
They are. Yeah. Yes, they are. I love them. Uh, a bunch wanna... of different mountain ranges are, right? The um, Labrador is as well, isn't it? Mm-hmm. At one point, he breaks off into a stanza that reminded me of drum taps. Uh, you know, he's talking about battlements and, oh, yelling battlements. I, too, was liege to rainbows, curing each pulse and bone. I, I, I noticed that because of rainbows. I've been trying to follow that um, through the collection. Um so I think um, basically the structure of this, which is very regular, is meant to evoke like a kind of self-importance, a kind of larger mm-hmm. mythos, right? You're supposed to read this almost like, you know, a tale of the man that would be recited or something like that, um, which I don't know, totally works, but, you know, it's fine, I guess, as like a larger piece of this whole poem. But this one might, so I might be contradicting something I said earlier. This one might be too explicitly about the subject, you know what I mean, to make it work. Or rather, I think it creates an, imba- an imbalance. Yeah. You know? Because mm-hmm. I would e- either expect all of them to kind of tangentially touch on the Pocahontas character or to be explicitly about it. This sets it sets up a, a different kind of expectation. I, I feel like it could also be maybe that this poem just doesn't feel as authentic as some of the other ones. You know, I feel like he might be extending beyond himself in some ways, maybe reaching into the imagination in order to kind of paint this entire story. And yet, I don't know if this is hit Crane, you know, at, at his strongest. You know what I mean? I, I kind of yeah. feel like, I just feel like it's an attempt to extend beyond what he really is close to as a writer. Yeah. It, I mean, it it worked better in Ave Maria, though. Mm. You know? I don't know, maybe... It, but that's because the person, he was, the voice he was trying to capture had to be a sort of, di- you know, dispossessed in some ways. Yeah. You know what I mean? That, that person had to be, you know... Here, it's a little different. Here, he, he's trying to... It's, this is almost like... I mean, if we're looking at Captain Smith and his view of Pocahontas, we have to read it almost like there's, like, like love involved, right? Or something. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm buying into that. It's almost like, um, like, I don't know, the universe declares there's love. But I think the problem is that the character, if it is his voice, is rather flat. Mm. Columbus has a lot more, I think, nuance and life to it compared to this. Well, that's a thing. I don't know what I would call Smith as a character. I, I think the character's flat because I think he's writing about stuff that's beyond him. I don't think he feel is truly authentically tied to the to the subject where he can make that character come alive. I think he was able to do that with Columbus because that's Columbus. Yeah, it's Columbus and yeah. and, and there this is ambiguity is, there and we know who a lot fuck more. Cares about John Smith essentially. Exactly. She doesn't even marry him. Like who cares? Yeah. And I think he's trying to make this <laughs> into a ca- character, you know. And I think he's just stretching here, yeah. you know, to put a to put a certain dynamic voice into the collection which could could have been good. You know, we do need a voice of say the man, you know. We do need a vo- that we do need different voices to come clashing up. I just don't know if he captures mm. it. Maybe because he has to to write too much from the mind. I I just think it, it's mostly descriptive. Mm. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really have a point. There's of like a lot of description of her and then yeah. of the earth and kind of likening them together. I think right. Mm-hmm. High unto Labrador, the sun strikes free. Her speechless dream of snow and stirred again. She is the torrent and the singing tree. Yeah. And she is virgin to the last of men. Yeah. Meaning like it's kind of like the last undiscovered place kind of thing. Like she is. It is like. And by the way, didn't he have a poem in White Buildings about North of Labrador? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. North that, Labrador. North called, Labrador. Yeah. Yeah. And that was about a kind of journey and you know. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, so I'm okay with the dance. If, if I if I move through it, you know, I, I, there is a kind of structure. He talks about, um, you know, going over Mount uh, first. I think traveling via water, then traveling mm-hmm. over mountains. You know, then uh, arrival at the kind of you know Native American lands. Then there's the uh, Muskokites kind of like mythology that is brought in. Which seems to be some other story, which connects to his love for I'm her. I tried to figure out what that was. I did a little bit. I couldn't figure it out. Yeah, it did. It's just you know, and that's where you get all the kind of big mythos. And it also seems to be a kind of like fertur- a fertility ritual. Yeah, her and a hair's, marriage ceremony. Her hair's warm sibilance. Her breasts yeah. are fanned, o stream by slope and vine- vineyard into bloom. Yeah. By the end, by the last page of this, or last two pages of it, I think it's basically like a lot of like. Fertility imagery, mm-hmm. and you know, um, I don't know, and and it kind of ends with a kind of dopey morality tale, right? Where the serpent with the eagle in its bow, you know, the mm. the good beats the bad or something. This doesn't, I don't know, have the complexity I think that the other. It, stuff it should has have been two so pages far. long, maybe. Yeah. yeah. All right, so we're Instead down on the dance. Down on the day. Cut the dance, heart crane. <laughs> I really like Indiana, though. Mm-hmm. I think this is very strong. You want to read it? Why don't, we, why don't we end this one with the read? Yeah, Galen's turn? Yeah, why don't we read Indiana. The morning glory, climbing the morning long over the lintel on its wiry vine, closes before the dusk, furls in its song as I close mine. And bison thunder rends my dreams no more. As once my womb was torn, my boy, when you yielded your first cry at the prairie's door, your father knew. Then, though, we'd buried him behind us far, back on the gold trail, then his lost bones stirred. But you who dropped the scythe to grasp the oar knew not, nor heard. How we, too, prodigal, once rode off, too, waved Seminary Hill a gay goodbye. We found God lavish there in Colorado, but passing sly. The pebbles sang, the firecat slunk away, and glistening through the sluggard freshets came, in golden syllables loosed from the clay, his gleaming name. A dream called El Dorado was his town. It rose up shambling in the nugget's wake. It had no charter but a promised crown of claims to stake. But we, too late, too early, howsoever, won nothing out of fifty-nine those years, but gilded promise yielded to us never and barren tears. The long trail back, I huddled in the shade of wagon tenting, looked out once and saw, bent westward, passing on a stumbling jade, a homeless squaw, perhaps a half-breed. On her slender back, she cradled a babe's body, riding without rain. Her eyes, strange for an Indian's, were not black, but sharp with pain. And like twin stars, they seemed to shun the gaze of all our silent men, the long team line, until she saw me when their violet haze lit with love shine. I held you up, I suddenly the bolder, knew that mere words could not have brought us nearer. She nodded, and that smile across her shoulder will still endear her. As long as Jim, your father's memory is warm, yes, Larry, now you're going to see, remember. You were the first before Ned and this farm, firstborn, remember. And since then, all that's left to me of Jim, whose folks like mine came out of Arrowhead, and you're the only one with eyes like him, Kentucky bred. I'm standing still. I'm old. I'm half of stone. Oh, hold me in those eyes engaging blue. There's where the stubborn years gleam in a tone where gold is true. Down the dim turnpike to the river's edge, perhaps I'll hear the mare's hooves to the ford. Write me from Rio, and you'll keep your pledge. 
I know your word. Come back to Indiana, not too late. Or will you be a ranger to the end? Goodbye, goodbye. Oh, I shall always wait. You, Larry Traveler, stranger, son, my friend. Damn. I think that's gorgeous. Dude, that know. poem for that poem is amazing. I really love it. This is like the discovery for me, this poem. Dude, I, I don't understand. Like, you put that poem next to the dance, and, the, <laughs> and that poem blows the dance away. So it's another dramatic monologue. Yeah, no works. doubt. But it's this one is beautiful. so much it's filled with behind it. It's filled with, like, authenticity, and it's filled with human spirit. It's beautiful. I, you know, I, honestly, because I feel like Crane's writing here from a, a place where he's closer to. I think he's... He was very close to his mother, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. You know that mother-son relationship. This is is captured here, man. Oh, in the ways that he doesn't, that. he falls short in the putting yeah. in the dance. Yeah. No, there's so much life behind behind the story. You're right. So, all right. So, let me make sure I got this right. So, I think the first stanza is like an introduction by the son, right? This Larry, and basically the rest of it is the mother telling her story about her restless times, right? Mm -hmm. So what you end up with is this tension of a son coming to you and wanting to leave and you can't being hypocritical. You can't say no, even though everything in the five year being wants to say no, stay with me, right? And she tries to say, we came back. Right, yeah. Right. But by the end of this poem, I get the sense they will never see each other again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. And she knows it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But she can't be hypocritical. She knows that the pull towards travel is is stronger than you know the I, whatever she thinks in that moment is her need yeah right which is sacrifice this is a, this is a poem about a beautiful sacrifice this this is the poem so in in um Who's the dude who's friends with Car- Hart Crane that wrote the introduction? Waldo Frank. Mm-hmm. He likens likens him at one point to Frost. Um, this is to me the most Frost esque totally poem so far, yeah. right? This is like home burial or I something agree. with yes, the kind that's of exactly drama. What I was thinking no, too. no doubt. Um, yeah. And, and and again, you know, he's speaking. I think from a place that he can write to. Yeah, it's um, so. Uh, By the way, right, narratively, I think that's right. right? Yeah. Like you have so, uh, real quick, this idea of leavings and returnings, mm-hmm. right? Um, the idea that, remember we talked about Columbus had mm-hmm. to go and he had to come back. She has gone and come back. Right. The prodigal left and came well, back. I don't think she's gone and come back. Oh, really? I think, I don't, we don't know where she started from, do we? We found God lavish there in Colorado. Yeah, but I don't know where she started. Oh. Right? She could have started anywhere and went to Colorado. They ended up in this place in Indiana. Oh. But I don't know if they started there. Uh, at the prairie's door? <sighs> yeah, I don't know. At once my womb was torn, my boy, when you yielded your first cry at prairie's door. Back on the father. gold trail. I mean, we get the sense that they're... How could you start out there, though? That's, that almost no, no, doesn't no. make sense to you me. You could have started in the plains, but it might not have been Indiana. Okay, but yeah, still, but still, if we're following the natural logic of the collection, people are moving westward. Right. Even if it wasn't literally this woman, she's part of a, a a group of people that had to at some point move out. Right, and we know that the 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 father is from Kentucky or Kentucky. Right, right. right. Yeah, I knew that. Right. Yeah, so they're, they're she's from not, parts. but she's not. Right. We don't know about her. Right, but that's fine. But the point is that even like take this character out of it for a second. The the woman, the mom, they ha- people have gone west. Mm-hmm. The idea that she's back in Indiana, yeah. which is really 
that's like the last point before you start hitting the real prairie of this country. Like once you start leaving Indiana and and Chicago, that that line, which is really right where the Mississippi is coming up, mm-hmm. you're you're entering into the territories. Yeah. So the idea that she comes back to Indiana, she's been and came back, and that's the very thing that we were talking about with Columbus. Columbus had to go, but he had to prove it by going back. Prodigal yeah. son left and came back. The sad thing is that you don't get a sense that this son's coming back. No, I there's yeah, or that she's. If he does, it's going to be too late because she's old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. But the American mythos is the East is civilized, and that's where you go to get your education. You go back East, right? Mm-hmm. And the West is wild, and you go there to discover yourself and make your fortune, right? That's the movement, you know? So her going back East is um, what? A retreat yeah. to civilization, right? Mm-hmm. That, like. To, to settle down. He's young. He needs to, you know, go out there. But there's no guarantee of that coming back. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. It's, and even if he does come back, like you said, she won't be there. She'll be dead. Right, that's, that's what's implied, right? Um, you know, she kind of, uh, I'm half stone. Right. Yeah. She's half dead. Which is why this is a goodbye, goodbye. It's a goodbye. God damn. And, and that trailing off at the end, she called, I could cry, man, with my friend. It's almost like yeah. he's leaving. Oh, my God. Son, my friend. It's like he's leaving. She's, like, calling after him. Yeah. Yeah, the way oh, absolutely. That, yeah. And that's what I meant about that. Um, that ends the poem. Both yeah. us all together. That kind of trailing off into the other thing. But um, she calls him Larry, uh, Larry Traveler, Stranger, Son, son My Friend. Stranger. She, she, doesn't know, she doesn't know him anymore. Won't know him soon. Right, even if he did come back and was reunited, he'd be a different person mm-hmm. because of the the change. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. He was all those things at one point. This this poem's. I even love too much. I even love the visual form on the page. It yeah. lends itself for such like a readability. Yeah, um, in, in the way that the dance felt so static. Yeah, I I also really like this idea that she's you know telling this story like we we traveled we came back you know your father died like all this stuff but she. You know, she, the speaker, you know, taking a few stanzas to talk about this moment that she shares with another mother, like carrying her child on her back. I love that. So, yeah, Yeah. I don't know what to hang on to that for a second. Um, So, first off, I get the sense that she's never told him this story before, Mm -mm. right? That this is the first, um, the first time she's might have, she's probably said this out loud at all, you know, and it's kind of, Confessional. She's bearing her soul here, right? But when we get to the that child, um, I, I don't know that that child is Pocahontas per se, but I think we're supposed to get a sense of that, right? That, I mean, he in a sense becomes a John Smith and this child becomes a Pocahontas figure, right? Um, why am I getting that? Uh her eyes, strange for an Indian's, were not black but sharp with pain. Like twin stars, they seemed to shun the gaze of all the silent men, the long team line, until she saw me. When their violet haze lit with love shine, right? So they come across this group of Native Americans, right? And they see this child, this female child. And the child seems to be indifferent to all the men around, but but connects with her. And as a gesture, she shows this child her her child, yeah. right? Um, I held you up, and suddenly the the boulder, 
knew the mere words could not have brought us near. She nodded, and that smile across her shoulder will, will still endear her. So the idea is that she, they use the children to communicate. Mm. Like, me too. <laughs> right, yeah. Because yeah, like, she's alone with her child. That's she's amazing. She's alone with her exactly. child. That moment's amazing. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's, it's beautiful communication without words. Yeah. Right? This, those two stanzas say so much more than the five fucking pages of, of the, dance. the dance. Oh, my God. Right? But that's it. It's, it's, look, you have a child. You're your child. I'm a child. Like, this is a child. We're both humans. We both are this. We're more same than we are different. And that's all that needs to be said. What's the name of this, what's the name of this section, this poem? Pohatan's daughter. Right. Could that be Pocahontas' mother? So I don't think that the timeline yeah. kind of matches up if we want to be literal. No, but it doesn't have to be literal. Care. Yeah, no, I'm just talking in a metaphoric sense. Like, I think are so. We, are, we supposed to think, are we supposed to think back to Pocahontas? And I thought, if this, I'm sorry, if yeah. this is just a sort of, you know, an, an Indian mother passing, you know, it doesn't have to be a literal connection. Totally agree. But if you don't think back to the section title being Pohatan's daughter... Right. You know, that would be a, 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 a perhaps, you know, we should be making that connection. Without that title, I would never come to this no. conclusion. Right. You know, absolutely. But I think that's it. It's, if it's not literally, it's enough of a connection that, that it's about that clash of cultures. I, I think yeah. it's interesting, too, because, of course, she mentions, like, perhaps a half-breed, that whole thing. Right. That, you know, Pocahontas's child is perhaps, like, the, one of the first, like, European and native yeah. child like born mm. it's born in England which is weird you know what I mean like considering generally like how that other, like other like La Malinche and in, in mm-hmm. who's Cortez's child like you know or has a child with La Malinche whatever like there's like a history of that like colonially and I think that that's important that piece yeah. of it too to kind of make that connection that it's it's later like it's obviously not really Pocahontas like you're saying not literally but like that part of it kind of ties it in a little bit too that, that's a bridge of exactly. genetic yeah exactly. yes, that's yes, what I'm yes. trying to get at yeah, yeah. that's good wow but it, I tell you what if all of the dance gets me to this juxtaposition so I can recognize that maybe it's all worth yeah. it. Yeah, I think you I know. think maybe Where's the, the dance editor? is kind of how it is. Oh, Christ's sake. I think maybe the dance is that way, like that feeling that I get from it is maybe on purpose. I don't know. It could be. No, I it think, could be. I don't know. Look, I'm going to put anything by Crane. He's a smart dude. Oh, There's yeah. no doubt. Um, That's a long poem, though, to, to capture that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, I ultimately... That's what that's about, and it, it's about having. It's about being able to communicate without even having to use language or any of the trappings of society. Look how far we've come from even you know the first um, Harbor Dawn, you know, with where the guys looking out that window and trying to communicate, you know, in this very complex modern world, or the 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 babbly advertisements, you know, it, it the poem ends with this moment of. I'm, I'm going to blow your mind for a minute. Let's do it. Two mothers hold <laughs> facing each other. People on the podcast, so you can't yeah, you can't hear me. I mean, you can't see me. But two <laughs> mothers holding up their child, yeah, facing each other, looks like a bridge. Oh yeah, right. The two children yeah. become what those pillars that are holding up the cables, and their arms become the cables. Yeah. And 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 if that's the image you're getting, where they're like, "Look, I'm a mother. Look, I'm a mother." There's a bridge of communication there. That's gorgeous. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. So. As, as like, you know, uplifting as this is, I love that death is sprinkled in the poem oh, yeah. as well. I'll tell you, this blew my mind. But you who dropped the scythe to grasp the oar knew not 
nor heard. I love that idea. There's so many things going on there, right? So you're leaving the farm, mm-hmm. you're dropping the scythe, um, and grabbing the ore. You're gonna he's gonna go off and be a seaman or something, Rio, right? Yeah. Um, but he's also there's this notion that he thinks he's cheating death, mm. right? You know the symbol of the Grim Reaper and all that. You know you can't, you <coughs> yeah. know. But there's so much kind of naivete and passion in that sentiment that. Travel becomes this expression of tr- of not being stagnant, which is a kind of cousin of death. Mm-hmm. Along with sleep is a cousin of death. That's right. Um, so thanks, Nas. <laughs> so yeah, I, I I love that. Right, you say so much in this just little gesture. Yeah. Little, but you get the sense that that's not Crane only. That that's all that meaning is imbued in the the mother as well. Right. That this mother is so savvy and wise you know, outside the expectations of what we have of probably an uneducated, you know, uh, you know, Midwestern woman, you know, 200 years ago or whoever this is, there's beautiful wisdom, wisdom in this. Hey, um, it says in that next stanza, how we two prodigal once rode off to waved seminary Hill, a gay goodbye. Where's seminary Hill. That's where they left from. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, I don't know. Oh, I think I looked it up and couldn't find anything and just thought it was a fiction. But Well, the idea that they once it. rode off makes yeah. me think that they left civilization, rode off, and then came back. Is there a seminary hill in Kentucky? I don't know. The evocation of prodigal here, though, I think is loaded with meaning as well. Because if in that, you know, because the prodigal son was welcomed with open arms, you know, there's a sense that you can always come back and I'll welcome you as well, which I think she knows is probably not possible or likely, but still it's a loving gesture. You know, mm. even though you're going against my wishes, which this implies, there's a kind of unconditional love mm-hmm. that's imbued just from the just from the mention of the illusion. Uh, yeah. There's so much great language in this too. I like all the um, the kind of you know, the mythos of, like, Colorado Gold Rush and the wagon tenting and all of this, mm-hmm. you know, it, it feels so kind of lived in. Yeah, it's, it's great. So and there, that ending kills me. There's an old fort on Seminary Hill in Kentucky. An old fort. Oh, oh wow. Is there? Yeah. Oh, that's good. I bet. So I think, the, I think they left Kentucky to go west and then settled back in, in Indiana, Indiana, which is across the river from Kentucky. Right, which they border. Which, yeah. by the way, you want to talk about also two places that are need to be bridged. You've got the north and the south, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. and and that river, that Ohio River, is going to separate that north yeah. south. Yeah, that's kind of interesting that's too. Interesting. So when they came back, they didn't go back to the south. They st- they st- they st- they stayed in the north. Yeah, which is advancement. Right. All right. Let's end on this idea. It's in the anti-penultimate stanza. Um. And it's the idea of the gold at the end. Uh, oh, yeah. There's where the stubborn years gleam and atone, where gold is true, mm. right? Um, home, right? You know, uh, I'm still standing still, I'm old, I'm half stone. Oh, hold me in those eyes, right? Home is in the eyes. It's in the memory. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as you can remember me right now, you can go off and be anywhere, and that's the gold. Mm-hmm. Even though he's going physically out to seek yep. real gold, he has it. <laughs> All he has to do is stay and and experience it. And she knows that, but she also knows equally that it's a fool errands 
to keep him here mm-hmm. because that's not the spirit. It's, yeah. She's too much his child to do that to him. It's heavy. Ah. It's heavy. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. All right. That okay. was a long one. So that gets us almost halfway, not quite, but almost halfway <laughs> through the collection. Really? Yeah. And um, so next time we'll start with uh, Cuddy Sark. Yeah. And move through, probably not through the whole thing, right? This is probably, probably not three chunks, like White Buildings was. Yeah. Even if even if the last one's short, shorter, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. fine. And uh, all right, I like I I feel like I've I've got a way better handle. Yeah, way better. I'm way yeah. into yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So all right, real quick. Yeah. Are you thinking this is better than White Buildings? I don't know yet. I mean, I'm going to say yes just for the vision of it. Yeah. It's got vision in the in the way White Buildings doesn't. Um, I think it's more cohesive yeah, in that too. way. Um, there's some of the poems in White Buildings that I, know. I really like I that stand alone that I think I like better than the poems in here. I agree. The collection, I think this is better. I, yeah. I'm totally with Galen on no, that. No, no, I get that yeah. too. The ambition of this is... I respect the ambition. I so respect. Yeah. I do too. You know? I respect but, uh, the vision. I'll tell you, if, if you're asking me, do I take something like Melville's Tomb or all of the Over voyages, any one of these... Po- well, not everyone, but right. over a lot of it, I'd agree. Right. Yeah. Voyages, voy- if I'm taking one poem to an island, it's Voyages. I'll go back and reread that, yeah. you know, endlessly. But but when you look at the river and Indiana in here, man, ah, those poems, like I could explore those poems as long as I could ride around this country. Yeah. All right. Cool, next time.